Okotov, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Donald. Hey. Hi, Natalie. I see you there. Hi, Marielle. Good morning. Hi, Eileen. Good to see you this morning. Ah, Stuart. Good morning, Stuart. Hi. Good morning. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Debbie. Good Shabbat to see you. Hi. Hi, Sonia. Hey, Shelly. There you are. Hey, hey Eileen, Shabbat you Shalom. moved on my page. There you are. Hi, James and Mary Isabel. Good to see you. Zach and Natalie are here. Good to see them. Hi. Morning. Good morning. Good morning Hi, Tina. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Good morning. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Good to see you guys. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Heather's with us. I see Murray has joined. Hi, Andy. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Dr. P. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Victor. Good to see you. Well, I don't see you, but it's good to see you. Good, good to see you're with us. Hi, Dr. P. Hi. Good morning. Was that Shelly? Morning, Shelly. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. So I'm actually Catherine Hayes, and I come up as this midwife. I'm not trying to be incognito too much, though. I am in a dislo dis. I'm in a, a location. location. Yeah, there we are. Yeah, called Denver. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> well, okay, I understand that you want to keep that undisclosed. Hi, Catherine. Good to see you. Hi. Okay. All right. Let's do. Got to get. Got to get Angel. Oh, hey, Pietro and Monica are joining us this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Who that is? Friends from Italy. Yes, I haven't seen them in so long. She comes up on there and she says, my real name is something, something, because it had midwife on there. Well, and yeah, midwife, yeah, that's Catherine. That's Catherine <laughs> is her name, yeah. Yeah, yeah look, at, look at this, Dr. P. <laughs> oh, there's your dog. All right, there you go. She's, ten, she's 10 feet tall there. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Yeah, well, Mishka has, you know, Mishka has become the, the little piranha right now as a puppy. So she's like ripping us apart. Yep. <laughs> but it's good. Okay. It's good to have a little dog. Hey, Chris, it's good to see you here from South Africa. Yeah, we kind of missed you last week. I'm glad you're back with us today. Yeah. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Hi, Rena. Hi, Rena. How are you? Tov me'od. Okay, tov me'od. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How to show. Excellent. Uh, let's see, we're getting there. We're just going to keep admitting people. And we'll get started with the morning prayer here this morning. You know, um, you know, it's been a very interesting week this week, I must admit. Very interesting week. And, of course, we see a lot of things in week that we can discuss kind of openly here. And, uh, and uh, so that's part of the reason why we have this meeting is because it's not subject to censorship and we can express ourselves and really kind of discuss the difficult issues of what's before us, right? And uh, so uh, that's what we're going to be talking a little bit talking about today. So now that we're, we're just about all gathered, let us, uh, and remember, if you have something you'd like to share, you can always share in the chat. Remember that, keep that in mind. All right, so let's begin with a little prayer here this morning. Uh, because I know a lot of us, some of us have had uh, a very interesting week. <laughs> it's good to pray. Okay. 
We lift up your name here this morning, Yah, knowing that you are with us in spirit and in truth. And we give thanks that you have called us into your family, that you have called us your people. We call you Yahweh Elohai. You belong, we belong to you. And you are our king, you are our savior, you are our creator, you are our guide, our lamp. You lead us in the ways of righteousness and you cover us, protect us with your wings. As we look out across the world, we see all many, many difficulties, Father, and, and Hasatan rising up against your people. And we know that we know that nonetheless, there is nothing outside the scope of your will and your intent for this planet. As you have seen the beginning and the end from the beginning, and you know the course of mankind. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen us so we might endure through these times. And you would give us the proper words to speak here today as we share Shabbat with one another this morning from all points around the world. Be with us in spirit and truth. In the name of our beloved Savior, Yahusha. Amen. Okay. All right. So I want to welcome uh, Pietro and Monica today. I'm so glad they have joined us. Um, uh, we met each other in Italy several years ago. With just an absolutely wonderful time we were able to spend together uh, in fellowship and going through uh, the hills of Tuscany together to see what it was that the world had before us. So it was, it turned out to be a very interesting and wonderful time actually. And now we know that as we work in what's coming here in the world, we see that many things are taking place. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk about today was I want to talk about um, a passage out of Zechariah, Zechariah. Now, Zechariah, you know, is a very interesting book. And one of the things that happens that you don't see, it's almost never taught, is that there is a prophecy that takes place in Zechariah. And it takes place in Zechariah chapter 3. And this prophecy in, in Zechariah chapter 3, you would think that this would be taught in the Christian church. And, you know, we had a long discussion last night talking about what's going on in the Christian church right now and the kind of um, failures that are happening in the church. The fact that the church has done so little to prepare uh, the people in the congregation, done so little to prepare the congregation for what we see coming upon us, that it's really quite distressing. And uh, it makes me wonder, I mean, it makes me wonder if they've read the whole book. But one of the things that we talked about last night, and again, I want to share this with you, because when we talk about the name, you know, for us, we have been disclosed the name. Now, there are people in uh, the Jewish world that want to say, well, we have an ineffable name doctrine, which is that you cannot ever speak the name. You cannot ever speak the name. And there are even some who teach that the name is the dirtiest word on earth. I mean, I've heard this taught, that the, that the name is the dirtiest word on earth. And, and really what it is, is the most powerful word on earth. And it is not only the most powerful word on earth, but our speaking it and declaring it is something that is going to bring restoration into the world. 
it's going to bring restoration into the, into the world. And I can tell you when we talk about that restoration, this becomes an extremely important thing because we're no longer talking about reformation, reforming, and we're not talking about revival. You know, I've heard so many pastors saying, I'm waiting for the great revival. There's going to be a great revival. I don't know where they get this great revival stuff in scripture. When scripture says there's going to be a great apostasy, it says just the opposite. It doesn't say revival. It says there's going to be an apostasy. And when you look at the teaching in Second Thessalonians, you know, that, that use of the term apostasia, the, 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 the uh, uh, noun form of that, apostasion, literally is the word, the Greek word for divorce. So when you see the word apostasia, when there talks about apostasia, mankind divorces itself from its creator. That's what happens. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says there will be a great falling away, a great, there'll be a great falling away. There'll be a great divorce of the people in this, in, in this world, the people in this world divorcing themselves from their creator. And what a great offense that is and what a great tragedy that is. But we see it happening and it's happening uh, because of the condition of the world, because we have allowed bit by bit our standards to be eroded by challenges in this life and by people who celebrate the flesh and by celebrating the flesh and serving the flesh, the spiritual begins to die. And as the spiritual begins to die, transgression becomes the way of things and transgression becomes more and more accumulative until you can't see normal anymore. You know, one of the things I talked about on Thursday night was this incredible prophecy out of Jeremiah 3 saying, look, it's one thing for us to say, well, we've gone a whoring after other gods and we've done this and we've done that. And there's been a lot of, you know, of this kind of harlotry that's been played, you know, the idolatry, harlotry. That's one thing. But he says it's going to come to a point that, you know, whoredom is the normal course of things. That's the common occurrence. That's the way people live. And that I will not, you know, punish your daughters and your sons who are engaged in harlotry and whoredom and idolatry. But instead, I'm going to forsake your whole social order. It's just goodbye, all of you, right? And this is exactly what happened to Yasharel in the Northern Kingdom. And then he goes on to say, and Judah is even worse, right? The Southern Kingdom is even worse, even worse. Now, when we see that, when we see that kind of, uh, when we see that kind of offense, we know that this is happening because such is the way of mankind. And Yah has known this from the very beginning that this would be the case. Yah has known that mankind would go down this path and he knows the elections that people make. And now we see that in the middle of this apostasy, we see that the world is divorcing itself from Yah. And everybody has their reasons. Well, you know, uh, Yah wasn't present for us in the Holocaust, but Yah didn't do this, Yah didn't do that. Therefore, we can't believe in him. Well, you know, guess what? He's not subject to our permission and he's not subject to our evaluation. You know, he, is, he is the creator and he does what, he, what he's going to do. Okay. Now, when we come into this, so what we're looking at now, and, I, and I'm a big believer in this, and I'm just going to share this with you guys. 
what we're looking at right now is we're looking at a war that is the, the net effect of the war is coming out of Rome primarily. And if you go back and if you study uh, Roman history, there's some, there's some pretty good movies out about this. There's one movie that was set in, um, in Britain in, so I think it's the first century. It could have been the first century BC with troops available to Julius Caesar who had come in and they were making war on the people of the British Isles. And when they did, there was a queen that was very willing to betray her own people to assert her son as the eventual leader over the British Isles on behalf of Rome, not knowing that the Romans intended to betray her too. But then the Romans engaged in a common Roman strategy to assert Rome over the British Isles. And they did, and they, you know, they burned people down and they used overwhelming force and sneak attacks at night and on and on and on. And ultimately they killed her and her son and they killed the other tribes that were there present in order to assert Roman control. Now, Rome has done this a great deal. I mean, they, they asserted themselves and were quite effective at asserting themselves all over the Mediterranean basin and all over the European continent. They did have difficulty in Britain. They were chased out of Britain on several occasions, but ultimately they stayed with it. Why? Because they, because if Rome could endure, if Rome could endure, then Rome could reinvade. And if Rome reinvades, then we don't care how long it takes. Maybe it takes a century. Maybe it takes seven centuries. Who knows? But we can hang out until we succeed with what we want to do, which is to, to implant Roman dominion. The only time Rome ran into a difficulty was with this, there were two difficulties that came against Rome. One was the Parthian Empire. Now, they went up against the Parthian Empire. And when they went up against the Parthians, the Parthians had made an agreement with them that everything to the east of the Euphrates belonged to Parthia and not to Rome, and that Rome would not cross the Euphrates. And a Roman general came in there with 100,000 troops. He had 10,000 mounted cavalry and 90,000 foot soldiers. And they crossed over the Euphrates and they found five unwalled, unprotected villages, which they sacked. And then they proceeded to continue on into Parthia. Well, the Parthians showed up with a couple of guys on horseback wearing, you know, basically ash cloth. And they kept retreating in front of the Roman army until they lured the Roman army into a canyon. And then when they got the Roman army into a canyon, 40,000 heavy cavalry wearing chain mail and using lances came down over the mountains and completely destroyed that Roman army. And they took the general who had done this transgression they cut off his head and poured gold in his mouth and cut off his right hand that had with the hand that made the deal that said we won't cross the Euphrates, dipped it in gold, and they shipped the head and the hand back to Rome. Well, Rome under, uh, what was the name, Mark Anthony, they decided that they were going to put together a battle and face this Parthian army. And so there was a huge battle between the Parthian army and the Roman uh, army. It was the largest war of mankind prior to World War I. Each side lost more than a million men in this huge battle. Now, this battle was so huge that it decimated Western Rome. I mean, from that point forward, Western Rome was required to bring in mercenaries to defend itself. The Parthians, in the meantime, had decided, well, this is not uh, a great place for us to be where we are in, in terms of defending the position. And in addition to that, you actually had 
intrinsic global warming at that time. That is to say that it was routinely hitting about 145 degrees in the Parthian Empire. And they had heard that there was an area in Europe that had opened up, it was beautiful, navigable, it had navigable rivers and was available uh, for basically to come in and establish a society. And it was the Parthians who did, now many of the Parthians were the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Parthians then went up through the Caucasus mountains. They went up through what is now, it's called the um, Russia Georgian military highway that runs up through an area of the Caucasus or the Kavkaz uh, called uh, North Alana or North Ossetia. And they came up through that area and they came into Ukraine and then they began to populate in Europe. The vast majority of them began to populate in Germany, Poland, Austria, Czechoslovakia, that area, including the Kassadim. The Kassadim also came up, right? The Chaldeans. And so this area began to be populated. Well, this was the Parthians. These were the Germanic hordes that were being, or that were continually assaulting Rome, right? Because that battle never ended. They continued to assault Rome. And Rome, who had lost most of its fighting men in this huge battle, began using mercenaries. Well, those mercenaries were coming from Britain, believe it or not. Many of them were coming from Britain. And so what took place there is Constantine took a look at this and said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to move the capital out of Rome to get to a more defensible position, namely Constantinople, which at that time was the most defensible position in the world. And it proved that way, the truth of that, for over 1,100 years. So he pulled into this area, Constantinople, a totally defensible position. And they began to abandon Western Rome. In other words, okay, we got military expenditures. We can either build up Eastern Rome, make it more capable, or we can spend money trying to defend Western Rome. We're not going to do that. We're just going to abandon it. And so they did. And the Visigoths and some of the other uh, tribes that were up in the north there, the Germanic tribes, came down and burned Rome 12 times. And so you see that this abandonment of the Roman Empire changed things. Well, the methodology then became, well, we're going to take over. We're, what we're going to do is we're going to abandon political authority and we're going to take spiritual authority. Now, this is the concept of Melchizedek, Sadiq, uh, Melchizedek, that you have this idea of king and priest in one person. But when you, get to the, when you get to the time of Yaakov, Yaakov divides it, and he put places the priesthood, in, or he places the scepter in the hands of Judah. The priesthood would be assigned by Yah himself, placing it in the hands of Levi, or Aharon, Aharon. But that wasn't the Melchizedek priesthood. The Melchizedek priesthood was something else at that time, too. Now, all of a sudden, the bishop in Rome says, well, all bishops are equal. But our bishopry is more equal than the other bishops. And they created this concept of pontiff and pope, you know, the supreme bishop. Well, this was rejected by most of the bishops in the world. But the pope succeeded in convincing the German armies, namely Charlemagne. And once he had convinced Charlemagne that this was the case, the very armies that used to sack and burn Rome became the armies of Rome. And once that took place, Rome succeeded in Europe by doing what? Continually, over and over and over again, engaged in enduring assaults against non-Roman people. And they did it this way. They asserted Sunday as the day of worship. 
Why? Because by asserting Sunday, they could tell who was under the Roman yoke and who wasn't. Now, look, that becomes an extremely important thing, being able to identify the Roman yoke. So we know a couple of things. When we look at the book of Ezekiel in the verse 2020, that is to say, when we look at Ezekiel with 2020 vision, we can see something in particular. In verse 20 of chapter 20 of Ezekiel, we're looking with 2020 vision. We have this written. I am Yahweh Elohim. Walk in my statutes, guard my judgments and do them. And then verse 20, and hallow my Sabbaths. And they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am Yahweh Elohim. Now, this very same instruction is found in the book of Jubilees. For those of you who have a Sefer, in Jubilees, we have this very brilliant discussion that takes place in Jubilees 2, talking about the Sabbath and about how the Sabbath was... And in Jubilees 2, I believe it's 2.18, we see something that is going to reaffirm or what that what Yekezkel is saying or Ezekiel is saying, which is in 2.18, it says, and he gave us a great sign, the Shabbat, that we should work six days and guard the Sabbath on the seventh day from all work. So what we see here is that Yah has given us a sign between us and him, the Shabbat. Well, Rome went and imposed Sunday as a sign between us and Rome. And so Sunday becomes very much the marker of the Roman leash. How do we know that person is captured in Rome? Well, because they worship on Sunday, there's the Roman leash. And then once the Roman leash was imposed, then the calendar, the natural calendar in the world was destroyed and there is a natural calendar you can see it in the heavens all you know the heavens declare the glory of yah the heavens also declare the, the calendar now when you see the calendar of yah you can see that the glory of yah is proclaimed rome said nope we're not using that calendar we're going to impose our calendar the gregorian calendar so we live in a world to give you an idea to give you the to show you the extent of roman control we start the day at midnight in the middle of the night. That's a Roman idea. The first of the year, which is celebrated all over the world, is at the end of the 10th month. That's a Roman idea, right? And then we have these months that are arbitrarily divided by Gregory. That's a Roman idea. And then we have this idea that there are 60 minutes in an hour and 60 seconds in a minute. That's a Roman idea. So by by when you live your life in accordance with these things, you are, in fact, under the Roman leash. You're under the Roman leash. And to give you an example of how arbitrary and capricious that is, we know that when, you know, when you're talking about in the Gospels, it talks about Mashiach being arrested in the third hour, being crucified in the ninth hour, and so on and so forth. That doesn't exist in the in the in our daily clock because you know we're talking about he probably was arrested around nine o'clock in the morning, but they call it the third hour, right? And then of course we have noon in the afternoon and we restart this count. 
And it ignores a, a couple of features that we see that are really quite present when we look. Now, I'm just gonna share this with you. In the natural scheme of things, in the natural scope of things, we find that there is a waxing and waning that takes place. That's an observable waxing and waning. For instance, we go from a zero moon, a dark moon, and then it waxes unto the full moon, and then it wanes from the full moon to the dark moon, right? So you begin with a dark moon, and it waxes to the full moon, then from the full moon, it wanes to the dark moon. Now, it's the same thing in the day. In the day, the day waxes on until the sun is at its apex at noon, and then it wanes into darkness that night. We see similarly, we have a waxing on of daylight that begins on December 22nd, you know, with the, with the winter uh, solstice, and it waxes on until we get to the summer solstice when it begins to wane, you see? So we have these natural features of waxing and waning, both in sunlight, in the amount of daylight during the day, and in the moon cycles, they're readily seen waxing and waning. Well, this is declaring the glory of Yah. This is not some arbitrary and capricious thing, or it's not an algorithm that we impose. We have something very natural in the heavens that is seen. And there we go. Shelly's holding up the moon calendar. Now, with the moon calendar, by the way, that's great, Shelly. You got to send me a, a, a snapshot of that. With the moon calendar, we also see that you have one full moon in the month. You don't have a blue moon, right? Because there's one full moon in the month in the natural calendar. Well, this calendar was celebrated throughout the Western world, the Gaelic world, the world where Jeremiah was, the world where uh, the, the world where uh, Baruch was buried, right? We now know they believe that Baruch was buried in a place called Berry Island, which is very near Cardiff in Wales. And, we, and it's believed that Jeremiah was buried in Ireland. There's a grave there that, that is marked or a tomb that they believe is Jeremiah's tomb. And the legends in Ireland is that Jeremiah showed up with the Stone of Scone and with, and, and with David's Ark. Uh, of course, Alan Wilson and some of the Welsh historians believe that the Ark of the Covenant is buried in a burial mound in Wales. That's also uh, part of this thing. But, but the point being is that that calendar that was used in that neck of the woods at that time was a calendar that was reflective of this natural rhythm, this natural rhythm of life. Rome, on the other hand, says, well, we're gonna assert Roman control by creating something artificial. We're going to move it out of its natural condition and we're gonna place it into a Roman imposed algorithm that we can mark who has the Roman leash around their neck and who doesn't. Now, as a result of doing this, as a result of what Rome did, which by the way is ascriptural, to assert yourself as a bishopry, it's very clear when you read the New Testament, the highest office in a church is the bishop. And then you have deacons, and then you have uh, what they call uh, presbyters or elders, right? So you have presbyters, you have the bishop, you have a pastor, you have deacons. You don't have a cardinal. A cardinal doesn't exist in scripture. And a pope doesn't exist in scripture. It's not there. It's created by Rome. And they, it was created by Rome to assert Roman supremacy over the other bishops, calling themselves 
the universal church or the Catholic church. Now, by using this political authority and this machination, they succeeded in capturing all of the European continent. But it was much more difficult capturing the United Kingdom and it was a sustained group of wars that were required, except in the condition of Ireland. Now, Ireland was left alone by Rome for seven centuries. And then they sent in a militant that we call St. Patrick. And St. Patrick did a lot of things that were consistent with Oliver Cromwell, but to impose Catholicism on the island of Ireland. And uh, Augustine was sent into the eastern part of the British Empire, Canterbury, where the, uh, the Abbey of Augustine is found to this day, where he was buried. And Rome began to assert its control over the eastern section of the British Isles, while the west was fading, right? At the time of the death of Arthur II, the west began to fade and Rome began to assert its control. Well, what did Rome bring in that period of time from 800 AD when Charlemagne imposed the Holy Roman Empire uh, until its collapse in 1800? What did Rome bring? Well, it brought the Dark Ages and it brought a great darkness that was associated with the idea of a flat earth with an edge where if you went beyond the Straits of Gibraltar, you would fall off the edge. It brought complete illiteracy in the Christian world and Christendom. Islam succeeded greatly against the Christian world at that time. Islam was advancing. They were moving forward into advanced mathematics. They were moving forward into advanced philosophy. While the Christian world under Rome was collapsing into darkness. Now, the apex of darkness, the apex of the dark ages, was 1066. I mean, that was the very bottom of the barrel, right? That's when you had most of the people in Europe living in illiteracy, drinking mead all day long, and farming. And the average life expectancy was about 30 years. They were living in filth. And you had a merge of people, you had a group of people that began to emerge called fighters, right? And the fighters began to emerge to do the crusades to liberate Jerusalem from the hands of the Muslim. And so these crusaders, these fighters, would go down to Jerusalem to fight under the Knights Templar banner. And these fighters would create, you know, basically the American Express card, only it wasn't called American Express at that time, but they created what's called a letter of credit. And so you would pay at their bank in Paris, you'd put your money in there and they would give you a letter of credit. And then you could take that letter of credit with you on the road to Jerusalem in your pilgrimage. And you could cash it in when you got to Akko or wherever. And this letter of credit began the banking industry. Well, this was created by the Knights Templar and the Knights Templar would become extremely powerful, the largest landowners in Europe, filthy rich, and doing banking. And when that was discovered by King Henry of France, he killed them all, well, he killed all their leadership, seized their lands, and seized all their wealth. Well, the remaining Templars killed him and the Pope within six months thereafter. But the Templars were divided, half of them going into Scotland and the other half going into Switzerland. And the half that went into Switzerland began the banking industry that we see today, okay? So it was a combination of that banking industry beginning by the Knights Templar and feudalism as imposed by William the Conqueror coming into Britain in 1066 
that we began to finally move out of the dark ages. But the dark ages, the depth of the dark ages, the illiteracy and ignorance of the dark ages was a direct and proximate control of the Roman leash. Now, the Reformation begins with Martin Luther's, you know, attacking up the 98 theses on the wall. But that was not a particular Reformation. That was just, we're going to criticize the Catholic Church. In the meantime, William Tyndale had been publishing English texts in Britain. And Henry VIII came to understand that he could not and that he should not retain any allegiance to the Pope because the Pope was asserting Roman sovereignty over the people of Britain. And Henry VIII said that's inappropriate for this guy who doesn't live here to assert sovereignty over our people. And so Henry VIII broke away from Rome. And when he broke away from Rome, he tried to make it as a complete break as he could, but it was very difficult. And, they, and he did things that I think were inappropriate. I mean, he burned the abbeys and they began persecuting uh, Catholics inside the country, putting them to death. King James was particularly vicious about killing Catholics. Uh, and then it became even more vicious when you got to Oliver Cromwell, who became really a genocidal agent to impose Protestantism on the United Kingdom as a single unit. However, it was this break from Rome that began the Reformation, okay? It was that break from Rome, the ending of transubstantiation. You have to remember that in Catholicism, the teaching is transubstantiation, which is what? We're going to, by means of incantation, which is called the Latin mass, we're going to engage in Latin incantation until we summon the Ruach of Mashiach to come in and enter the Eucharist itself. Then we're going to execute him anew. That's what the breaking of the Eucharist is in the mass. We execute him anew on this altar of stone, and then we eat the flesh and drink the blood. That is the doctrine of transubstantiation. Now, there's if, you, if anybody grew up in the Catholic Church or you have friends that are Catholic, they will, conf they will confirm this, okay? They will confirm this, that that is in fact the doctrine of the Catholic Church, transubstantiation. With the Reformation of Henry VIII, we see wooden altars being put in instead of stone, and we see that the, the bread and the wine is given as an expression of covenant, as it was between Melchizedek and Abraham. Remember, when Abraham approached Melchizedek, Melchizedek came out from the walls of Shalem, of Salem, carrying bread and wine as an expression of the covenant. And this became the, this became the working mechanism under the Reformation coming out of Britain. Now, as a result of this Reformation, we began to see what? The Industrial Revolution, the Age of Enlightenment, so on and so forth. Of course, it was also the Age of Liberalism. Liberalism has taken us right off a cliff. Now, but nonetheless, you saw the Reformation come out and the Reformation did its thing from 1535 forward. And what are the children of the Reformation? Canada, the United States, Australia, New Zealand. These are the children of the Reformation. And the British Empire became the greatest empire in the world, absolutely the largest empire in the world that the world had ever seen under Queen Victoria. And, you know, you, they used to say the sun didn't set on the British Empire. 
when you're talking about Britain holding all of India and Pakistan and Bangladesh, Hong Kong, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, East Africa, right? British East Africa, which was Kenya and so forth. British South Africa. They had holdings in South America. I mean, you're talking the sun didn't set on the British Empire. But the sun did set on the British Empire when King George VI died in 1952, as predicted in 4 Ezra, what happened. And when the sun did set on the British Empire. Now, this pope, this current pope that we have, is waging war against what's left of the Reformation. And when they talk about the Great Reset, what do you think the Great Reset is? The Great Reset is to once again impose Rome over creation. And if you, if you understand this, you can see it very clearly that the mechanisms of Klaus Schwab, who is the child of a Nazi, Klaus Schwab is here advocating at the World Economic Forum the proposals that were given in impetus by Jorge Bergoglio as the Pope in his 2015 proclamation called Laudato Si, Laudato Si. And this proclamation in 2015, you know, talking about global climate change and how we're going to arrest it and the things that are necessary to redistribute wealth. What wealth? The wealth of the productive nations, i.e. those nations that came out of the reformation to remove their wealth from them and redistribute it to nations that had not left the Reformation, that remained clinging to the Roman yoke, which has imposed poverty everywhere it goes. Look, go down to the Catholic countries in Latin America. Why aren't they rich like the countries in North America? Right? Yeah, techno-sanitary fascism, close the civil war. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Pietro is saying here in Italy, we're in a true techno-sanitary fascism, close to a civil war. Millions who do not want to submit to the power no longer know what to do to impose the vaccine, the brand. Even the Pope is doing everything to convince people to do it. I know the Pope is saying you should get the vaccine. Why? Because the Pope does not care who survives. As long as the two pillars of Romulus and Remus are imposed over what's left of the dead. Now, this is why I keep trying to, this is why it's very important for us to see. Rome is at war with the Reformation. And this war started in 2015. Look what they did. This guy, Tony Perkins, came out. Why are you people arguing anymore? You know, all of the, the protests against Rome has had 400 years. And what did it bring? You guys should just forget it. All come home, right? And they called for an ecumenical reconciliation to accept the tenure, and the supremacy of the papacy. And many churches did. I mean, all of these false pastors in the United States capitulated. The Southern Baptist Conference, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, the Lutherans. And then you get, and then you get to, uh, of course, the Seventh-day Adventists even capitulated. And when that happened, I mean, I can tell you that many of the churchgoers in the Seventh-day Adventist church broke off, their churches broke off, they broke away from the SDA formally in order to continue the teaching of the church. But what we see is, is that this is the war that's going on. It is a war, and this war is one that says, we don't care if this protocol kills every single person in the country, as long as Romulus and Remus dominate when, it, when the dust is settled. 
and they don't care that they're going to reverse the last 400 years of history, which brought reformation, which brought modernity. It brought modernity itself. They want to bring us back to a condition where the average person is illiterate, and they've said it point blank. You will own nothing and like it because the church is going to take everything. And it's going to redistribute wealth in accordance with its dictates. Well, go into these communities where the church does that. You've got this church displaying fabulous amounts of wealth, gold candelabras, gold inside the church, gold here, silver there, blah, 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 blah. And the, and the priest is running around in his brand new Cadillac in the great big rectory. And the village is hopelessly impoverished of people living under tin cans. I mean, you see it everywhere. And so what I'm saying to you is this. First of all, we have to identify what's going on. You can't just sit here and say, oh, gee, well, I think that uh, uh, you know Bill Gates is a genocidalist. Bill Gates is a tool of this operation. He's a pawn of this operation, as is Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum as is Jacob Rothschild, who has always been a banker to the Vatican. The Rothschild family succeeded by being bankers to the Vatican. The Jesuits, who, by the way, uh, uh, you have to be Jewish to be a Jesuit, you know, to be, to, to be in the extreme oath. And there, there is a relationship between Chabad Lubavitch and the extreme Zionists and the extreme Jesuits. There is a very close relationship. In fact, Chabad Lubavitch has a seat in the Vatican. All right. So when we understand this, and in fact, if you understand it even more, you'll know that modern Judaism was not created at all until after Rome asserted itself over Europe. Right? When Charlemagne imposed the Holy Roman Empire, suddenly we see the Karaites begin to develop the Masoretic deception, the Nikudot, the vowel signs on the Hebrew. And suddenly we begin to see modern Judaism arise. Why? Because Rome needed someone who could charge usury outside the scope of Christianity. So we know that Rome, for instance, created Islam and now we know that Rome also created modern Judaism. They're working hand in hand to assert the Roman leash. So when I talk to people inside the Christian church and I, and I proclaim to them Shabbat, uh, well, I rest in Christ. I rest in the peace of Christ. I, I rest every day. Well, that's not what Sabbath says. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says six days ye shall work. And you shall rest on the Sabbath. And it's a pattern given to us in creation itself. And to ignore it is to ignore the sevenfold doctrine of his whole creation. There's a sevenfold doctrine of his creation. That sevenfold doctrine is expressed in the rhythm of the Shabbat. And remember, when you, when you keep the rhythm of Shabbat, you begin the, the natural rhythm that is expressed in the heavens. And that rhythm, of course, is anathema to the Roman algorithm. So if you go back and you look at the Alhambra decree, the Alhambra decree was imposed on the 9th of Av in 1492, the year that Columbus sailed the ocean blue. In fact, Columbus sailed the ocean blue 
the day after, on the 10th of Av, and he had three ships full of Jews, of Spanish Jews, that they loaded up and got him out of Spain. Why? Because the day before, Ferdinand and Isabella, also Spanish Jews, had cast on the stone, if you're not Catholic, get out. Oh, and by the way, all of you rich Jews, leave your money here. You're not taking it with you. So you would see many of the wealthy Jews would go out and buy two carat and larger stones, swallow them, right? They'd swallow diamonds, rubies, and all these massive stones were worth it where they could express their wealth, capture their wealth. Well, the people in Morocco knew it. And so when the Jews would end up in Morocco leaving Spain, they would take the Jews and gut them, cut their guts open in order to find the jewels in their stomach. This is the kind of thing that happened. But when you read the Alhambra decree, what does it decry? Who are you kicking out of Spain? Well, the decree is very clear. We're kicking out of Spain those people who teach the biblical calendar, those people who teach the feast days, those people who keep the Shabbat and teach others how to find the feast days. That's what's in the Alhambra decree. You see it? It's about the calendar. It was about imposing the Roman leash, the leather leash around the neck that is Sunday, and this contrivance of worship that is created by Rome. Now Rome is back at it, and they're going to assert Roman authority over the five eyes, the United States, the UK, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. This is why something very interesting has happened just recently, which is hard to believe. But again, we know that even, the, even the, those who are completely in the hands of Satan are still nonetheless doing the will of Yah. Because of what's taking place in the South China Sea, where China is asserting itself and vociferously down there now. The United States came back and said, well, we're not going to be able to deal with China under the current circumstances. We need to create forward bases down there for nuclear weapons. And so they came and they formed an alliance with Australia, which became what's called AUKUS, Australia, the UK, and the US. That's very interesting because, uh, Catherine, you know, Stuart, you know, that when I was in Britain, a great deal of our discussion hinged around what happened with Brexit, with Brexit. And of course, I'm a big supporter in Bre of Brexit, and of, I'm a supporter of Nigel Farage, uh, who was very ardent about Britain breaking away from the EU. Why? Because the EU is the Third Reich. I thought Britain and the United States won World War II. You can't tell by going into Europe, which is completely controlled by the Germans, in unelected positions in the EU, which are all children of the Third Reich, right? And so finally, Nigel Farage is the one who saw it, said, what are we doing here? We need to get out of this. And the people in Britain saw it. And when they actually put it to a vote, the people in Britain affirmed twice. They thought, well, if we put it to a vote the second time, people will realize, well, we don't want to do that because we're going to lose all our connections with the EU. Funny thing was, an even greater majority voted for the Brexit. Well, this puts us in a situation where the nations of the Reformation have now been targeted by Rome for destruction. Very important that we understand that. And what I submit to you is that what is coming now is not a new dark age. What is coming now is a restoration, not a reformation, not a revival, but a restoration. 
the restoration of all things. And this restoration that is coming is a restoration that is going to include the restoration of the true calendar. It's going to include the true calendar. It's going to include the true rhythm of life. And it is going to, it is going to include Yah's instruction, an instruction of righteousness, an easy yoke and a light burden, not the constructs of the Catholic catechism, not the constructs of the Jewish Talmud, not the constructs of the Hadith and the Sunnah uh, of the Quran, none of those. It is going to be the simplicity and the righteousness of Yahweh, which is a readily understandable concept. It's readily understandable, readily doable, and the people of intelligence who can still read and write right now, which is an art form that's going to go away if we don't protect it, are going to be able to move into the restoration of these things. And in that restorative concept, we're going to speak, because I can tell you, when you see what's happening right now, Yah is cleansing. We look at it and say, oh my goodness, judgment is coming all over the world. Judgment is coming all over the world because Yah is cleansing. He is cleansing. I'm going to take this area. I mean, for instance, let's say Yah has got a particular territory picked out. He says, this territory here, is where my people are going to live. They're going to live here. Now, there might be territories like this all over the world. My people are going to live here. Well, well, then what? Well, first thing, I have to clean out those people who have the Roman leash around their neck. I have to clean out those people who are demonic, those people who are satanic, those people who are, are completely compromised in their life, those people who have no sense of righteousness, do not seek righteousness, I've got to clean it out, just like he did during the time of Noah. He had to clean the earth. He had to clean out all of that stuff. He had to clean out the people with cross DNA that had Nephilim DNA and so forth. All of this stuff had to be thoroughly cleansed. And he is cleaning that out now. And so we can look back and say, well, gee, uh, you know, why, why this vaccine? Because Yah is cleaning out. And, you know, and so when we, again, we talked about it last night, if this thing goes like I think it could, as many of those who are well-informed uh, know that, oh, you know, many of the doctors like Judy Mikovics and like Carrie Madej and, and uh, uh, I forget her name out of Ireland, but they've all come forward with great testimony saying, look, what is in this vaccine is ultimately going to, going to create a condition in the person called the cytokine storm. And the cytokine storm eventually results after the body has been, after the spike protein has invaded every cell of the body. Now, somebody wrote me today and they said, you know, Steve, why is it you keep talking against the vaccine when all of these leaders in the Hebraic roots movement and all of these Christian pastors and the Pope are saying it's okay to take it. And they mention, I mean, I forget, I think it's Monty Judah and Steve Mutria and other leaders inside the movement had said it's okay to take this fax. And you know that I'm opposed to the fax, you guys know that. And I know it's difficult for many of us to sit and say, okay, we're gonna we're going to withstand this push. Uh, to be vaccinized, to be vaccinated. I know it's very difficult. And in some communities, like if you're in Israel, you know, 
that they have 90% of the nation backs, right? And and the push is on here, like even where I am, you know, we were talking last night, all the employers, all the employers are demanding that their people be vaxxed. And I want to go to these employers and say, hey, look, do you want to run a company? Or do you just want to have people that are vaccinated, right? Well, we have to do it because otherwise we can't get these contracts. We can't get this funding. We can't do this. We can't do that. Okay, fine. So they've imposed this stuff. Now, what takes place is they end up with the compliant people working for them and the non-compliant are gone. And in New York, the governor who is engaged in some of the greatest sacrilege blasphemy you can possibly imagine has come out and said these things. And she just went in and fired everybody in the New York hospitals and said, all the unvaccinated are now fired. Get out, you're all fired. And then she's gonna put the National Guard in there. You know, now the National Guard therapy is a little bit different. Instead of giving you the needle, they give you the 357, you know. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that, but I don't know that. But I can tell you when you're talking about unqualified military personnel being the ones that are changing your bedpan, good luck, good luck. So we see something very incredible coming on the earth and as prophesied. And I said this, you know, I said this back in 2019, in August of 2019, that this thing is the mark of the beast. And people say, well, I can still buy and sell. Oh, yeah? Tell it to the people in Israel. Tell it to the people in Pakistan. Tell it to the people in the Philippines. Right? There's nation after nation that said you either get it or you go to prison. Does that sound like you, you know, you're not going to be able to buy or sell? Has it been imposed on the great and small, the rich and the poor, the bond and the free? Yes. So those who say, well, this is a precursor. It's not the real thing. Well, that's an excuse for you to take it. And when you take it, you're sentencing yourself. And now they know. I mean, you know, they came out yesterday. They came out with a report from Medicare here in the United States. There's 48,965 people who have died from the vaccine within 14 days of taking it in the United States. That's from Medicare. Okay. Hundreds of thousands that have critical injuries. Myocarditis, pericarditis, heart disease, blood clotting, people dropping dead from it. On and on it goes. Anyway, I'm not going to get too far into this. All I can tell you is, is that... This is designed by Rome to assert Roman control. Restoration is designed by Yah, and it's designed for Yah's people. So we see in Zechariah chapter 13, we see the following prophecy. Now, bear in mind that Israel is the most vaccinated country in the world. Roughly 90% of the country is vaccinated. And not only are they vaccinated, but they're all double vaccinated. And now they're calling for everyone in the country to be quadruple vaccinated, four shots, not just three, four. And what they're finding is that their hospitals are overwhelmed. They have 10,000 people a day coming into their hospitals that are sick. And all of their ICU beds, which is 670 in the nation are completely full. They can't, they can't treat any more people. They're all sick. And the cytokine storm has not yet begun. There comes a point, you know, it's one thing for you to have an adverse reaction to the vax. It's another thing for you to become weakened from what's called ADE, autoimmune deficiency, which is really that you're, you're being given AIDS inside the vax. That's what you're being given because it's going to change every cell. And so you're given AIDS and it's incurable. You can't stop it after you have it. 
And then you end up with auto with autoimmune deficiency, which means if somebody comes in with COVID or if somebody comes in with a Delta variant or somebody comes in with a common cold, you get sick. Well, that's one thing. All that's fine. But we haven't got to the cytokine storm side of it. The cytokine storm is when every cell is overcome with spike proteins and your immune system sees every cell in your body as being a virus that it needs to kill. And so your immune system goes to war with your bloodstream. It goes to war with your kidneys. It goes to war with your heart. And your immune system is trying to kill every cell that has a spike protein, which is every cell in your body. That's called the cytokine storm. We haven't seen that yet happen, but we do know it happened in lab animals. Every one of the lab animals that were tested with this mRNA vaccine died. Every one of them. There was no exception. So... When we see, and I think there will be exceptions, but the exceptions are going to be here, what we see in Zechariah chapter 13. In that day, there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and then to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Now, that's pretty important. He's telling us here that there's going to be a fountain that is going to be there in Jerusalem, that that fountain itself is going to have the capability of reversing some of these effects. I don't know what this fountain is. I don't know anything about it, but he's telling us there's going to be a fountain there that's going to reverse some of these effects. And it shall come to pass in that day, says Yahweh Sebo, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land and they shall no more be remembered. Now, one of the idols in the land in Jerusalem or in Israel that they don't want to talk about is this Babylonian god, Ashema. Ashema. Now, they want to tell you that they use the innocuous phrase Hashem in place of Yahweh. You know, when you come to Yahweh, say Hashem. This is the instruction you will get from every Hebrew teacher. When, you're, when you come to this name, yod Hebabe, say Hashem. Well, Hashem is not just a phrase meaning the name. It actually means Ha-Hashem. Hashem. Ha-Shema, and Shema is who? He is the fallen angel who taught sorcery. Shem Yatsa. Shem Yatsa. And so all of a sudden we have this Babylonian deity, Ashema, which is being lifted up quietly in Judaism. Hashem. Right? One of the idols, that name is going to be cast out of the land and shall no more be remembered. And I will also cause the prophets and the unclean ruach to pass out of the land. There is an unclean ruach in Israel. You don't have to go any farther than the LGBT parade in Tel Aviv to see the unclean ruach in the land. And those parades, by the way, are paid for with government money. Did you know that? They, Netanyahu paid the LGBT community to parade in Jerusalem, paid them to do that because they claim that this is the symbol of freedom, right? It's, you're not free enough to say my body, my choice in Israel, but you're free enough to practice LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ, right? Unclean ruach, unclean. And it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, 
Then his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, you shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of Yahweh. And his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. Why? Because the only prophecy that can be true in Yerushalayim and in Israel is that two-thirds of the people are going to die. Any other prophecy, oh, we're going to be restored. Oh, this place is going to become the land of milk and honey again. Oh, we're going to be blessed. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Any of that stuff, you know, the Kim Clement type prophecies. They're going to say, the parents are going to say, you, you need to shut up. If you open your mouth again about that, we're going to kill you. Because they don't want to hear the prophecy. Because they know what the prophecy is. They know what the strong word is. We're going to see it right up here, right? You know, I mean, when I think about the prophecies, I mean, you know, Kim Clement, okay, great. I mean, I know many people in the Christian church, they were just like, well, I'm into Kim Clement. His prophecies are so great because he's prophesying Trump's going to be here for two terms and we're going to make America great again. The whole concept of make America great again is a curse that comes out of uh, Yeshayahu 9-11. That, you know, the bricks have fallen. We'll, we'll rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores have fallen down. We'll plant cedars, right? We're going to rebuild. We're going to make America great again, right? I mean, this is the same thing. It was mouthed by George Bush. It was mouthed by Barack Obama. And then it was mouthed by Donald Trump. We're going to make America great again, right? We're going to we're going to come back with hewn stones. We're going to come back with cedars. And even Joe Biden has said the same thing with his Build Back Better protocol. It's the exact same cursing because we have not considered him who smote us. We have not done that. So here we are. Now, but he shall say, I am no prophet. I'm a husbandman for man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in your hands? And he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Right? And this is Yahusha saying what? When people say, why didn't you come as the king? Why didn't you come as the conqueror? Why didn't you, why didn't you put together an army and kick Rome out of here like Judas Maccabeus did? What's your problem? I was wounded in the house of my friends, right? In my hands, right? Because I was merely a shepherd, but that shepherd is what overthrew the world, right? Now, here's the prophecy. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, says Yahweh. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, says Yahweh, two parts therein shall be cut off and die but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring at the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, Yahweh Elohai. So we see that what is coming now is that there is going to be a loss of two-thirds of the people in that nation with a self-inflicted uh, injury, a self-inflicted injury. I was wounded. And they shall say to him, what are these wounds in your hands? I, then he shall answer, 
those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. You see, it wasn't the Syrians. It wasn't the Palestinians. It wasn't ISIS. It wasn't Iran. Nope. The two thirds that are going to perish were wounded in the house of their friends. That's that hospital that sits up on the hill over there. The wound in your hand, that's that hospital that sits up on the hill. But we see here that when, we, what we, when we're talking about, what about the people that remain? The people that remain shall say, Yahweh Elohai, Yahweh is my L, is my L. And so even though we're a small community, guys, and yeah, uh, even though we're a small community, and I know for many of you, it, it is the, the ability to withstand the demand for the mark and the demand that you take the mark becomes more and more difficult as the days go by. Nonetheless, the key, the entire key, one more verse. Let's look at Matthew 24. And then, and then we'll, we'll take some questions after that. Okay. But in Matthew 24, we have the solution. Because Yah says in Matthew 24, join a militia and start into civil war. Right? No, sorry, I don't. Thanks, <laughs> Shelly, for laughing. We, don't, we obviously do not see anything in Matthew 24 about joining a militia. And but it says this, right? It says in Matthew 24, verse 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because the transgression of the Torah shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I mean, you see this when you have somebody come in and say, those unvaxxed people should be eliminated. They should be exterminated. They should be put in FEMA camps and executed. I've heard it, right? When you see that stuff, right? What's it say here? Verse 13, here is your answer. This is what you're called to do. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So we're called to endurance. Okay? We're called to endurance. This is what we have to do. And we do this endurance by what? We have hey, Dr. P, some people need to mute themselves because there's an interference and so it's choppy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking around seeing who is uh, not, uh, not unmuted. Okay. So with that, let's take some questions. Let's go to Catherine, who goes by Midway. How are you, Catherine? I'm very good, Dr. P. I'm extremely encouraged. Um, it's this Catherine, Catherine. You're not the only Catherine. This <laughs> is Catherine you. Midway. Yes, Catherine Hayes is my name, and I am also Kate Fleming's and this and that. And I'm not trying to be incognito, which is just how I interface, I suppose. Um, I am so... Um, I'm just so full. <laughs> so 
bear with me just a minute. We're with you, Kate. We're with you. First, Dr. P, I want to thank you for speaking forth the truth and love. And I want to say right now for you people that may not know some of the things he's speaking about, you can vet it every bit out through research. So let's not waste time asking inane questions. I, I feel that we have been empowered through, because we just endured through this, this precious time that we've been told to afflict our souls. And because of the crescendo in the spirit realm right now, it's just, it's so active and we are being empowered to walk this thing through and bring forth and birth a new thing. Because by afflicting our souls and enduring this and letting him look at our heart and show us our heart, we'll become pliable in his hand and knowing how to yield to the Ruach that indwells us and teaches us all things. And that's what I hear you saying by bringing forth this truth of the situation in which we live right now. So what we're here, most of us here are gonna be the one third part that have opted out because we come from a long line of nonconformist, essentially. Amen. Um, in 2012, Ruah HaKodesh spoke to me and said, remember where you came from? And I, like Sarah, laughed. And I said, how can I do that when I never knew? And so he's brought me through vetting out the things you've spoke today by looking at the people I came from and the history that was created in their lifetimes that have impacted my being that I have to now face off and let come into a restorative way through redemption. It's about us being restored. Amen. And it's about us restoring something in this world that we're passing through that can glorify his name because we now know his name. We know his name and we call him Yahweh. Elohai, Elohai, is that it? Elohai? Yeah, Elohai, yeah, Elohai. Elohai. Yeah. So yeah. it's been a number of years that, that that's what Father was saying, call me that, call me that. So the verses that you've come through today, like the third part that we're to remain, Father started really speaking to me back in, in uh, February of 2019. I've got notes all over my sepher. You know, it's all marked up here and there. And I've got the dates because he speaks to me in this. And I want to remember what he says, because that is the only voice that really has any ability to tell me to show up where I need to be when I need to be there. And obedience is what we're called to. Amen. Amen. Well, and let me. Well, well, Catherine, I have to tell you, it's just it's uh, it's a pleasure for us to meet you and welcome to this family hallelujah and uh and it's good to hear these words coming from you you know and i can tell you that i think when we talk about this restoration i did leave that out of our equation today that the restoration is not only the restoration of his people generally 
but also the restoration of us. And you read in that prophecy that we're going to be tried like silver. We're going to be tried like gold. We're going to be put into the fire. Now, this fire is not going to be something mediocre. You know, you're going to talk about, I mean, we're, we're, we're already seeing it now. There are many, many stresses in this world that are coming. We know that a lot of the leadership in this world has already, you know, been made ill. You know, they've suffered really the draconian aspects of this bioweapon that's upon us. And we're going to be seeing other things too. We're going to be seeing things like, you know, what do you do when you have a third of the people gone? How do you continue to run your economy? Who is going to be working the jobs? Who's going to be driving the trucks? Who's going to be teaching the children? Who's going to be doing this? Who's going to be doing that? You look around and it's like, gee, what happened to so-and-so? Well, they didn't make it. And of course, a lot of the people are talking about now, well, we have, you know, that we have a scriptural duty that is imposed upon us to bury the dead, you know, and this is something else that's coming. So anyway, Catherine, I've got, I'm going to move on because we have a lot of questions here today. So blessings to you, sister. Thank yes, you. Thank you. For your word. Okay. Catherine Wilmot, cheerio there from Britain. I'm fine fairly well, if you will. Um, I, I just wanted to thank you again, because when I put my hand up in the beginning, I was going to talk about restoration, but then you brought it up. So I was just going to thank you because it's confirmation to what Yah's been showing me. Oh, hallelujah. Well, thank you, Catherine. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Have you got a question here for us this morning? Will it evening where you be? Um, no, the only thing is I'm now working on Jeremiah. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, um, well, I mean, you know, it, the rumor is, and you know, there's photos and so on of a tomb that is north of Dublin by about 70 kilometers. That is the tomb of Jeremiah. And of course, you know, I mean, again, there's a lot of, uh, you know, mythology, if you will, about it being the tomb. Whether or not it's true is another story, but we have to see what the history um, is. I'm starting to think Barack and Jeremiah would have been together. It's very possible. I mean, the, the you know, when you see what happens in, in the, from there and into Wales. Yeah, that's very possible too. But you know, by the time it's done, everything there is in Glamorgan, right? <laughs> Which reminds me, you know, Kumroglyphics, Ross Broadstock's book, uh, showing the, the, the close relationship between the Welsh language, the Kumraik, and the Egyptian hieroglyphics is, of course, now available through Sefer. And it is quite an illustrative book. So thank you, Catherine. Appreciate that. Thanks for raising the issue. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna keep going, okay? Hi, Shelly, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yay. Wow, I love what you're talking about today, uh, Dr. P. It's really exciting. And I wanna hear what you think about this. I was just looking at this this morning and it just really hit me. And I think part of what it's hit me, it has to do with, with cycles and the repeating of cycles, right? I've been listening yes. to, mm -hmm. to some of Mike Adams' updates lately, which have been very interesting. He's getting very philosophical, talking about like the conscious mind and, and, and different things. But I want to hear your take on this. This is found out of the book of Jasher. Um, it's uh, chapter nine, verses 38 and 39. And it's talking about right after the tower, right? And as to the tower which the sons of men built, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up one third part thereof. 
and a fire also descended from heaven and burned another third and the other third is left to this day and it is of that part which was aloft and its circumference is three days walk and many of the sons of men died in that tower a people without number it seems like maybe that's another clue uh, to this third 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 so i just wanted to get your take on that yeah, I mean, when you talk about that, I mean, you know, one of the things that we're discovering and we kind of, and, you know, I'll just share it with you guys because we're a, a private group and I can share it with you, is that the geography that we're taught in the modern world may not be the geography of scripture at all. And, uh, and in fact, when you're talking about, when, like, there's a place in Iraq that they say, oh, well, this is clearly the Tower of Babel. It's not three days walk across its base, Right. But there are other places where it is three days walk across its base. And, you know, and you do see this idea of a third and a third and a third, two thirds being destroyed and a third remaining. And the third remaining is even that is a remnant, right? It's only a remnant. It's a relic. And so, yeah, there is something prophetic about that. And one of the things we're discovering about Jasher, and I'm so happy that we published Jasher, is because Jasher has a wee bit of a contradictory record. I mean, when you get in, you read, you start reading Jasher 10. Jasher 10 starts telling you, these people are here, these people are here, these people are here. And you're reading stuff about Italy and France and Lombardia and all these other places where Jasher is telling us something com completely different than the Greek record. And you, you have to keep in mind that the Greek record, which is what we're given in the New Testament, that's a Greek record. And then even the Old Testament, when you talk about the Septuagint, that's a Greek record of the Old Testament, which competes head on with the Masoretic text, the Hebrew text, right? So you have Greek versus Hebrew, which one is which? Which, you know, which came where, right? And even the discussions, like for instance, Michael Heiser uh, gets into extensive discussions about the true history of the creation of the Old Testament, who wrote what and where, you know? And we see, even in the book of fourth Ezra, we see a long discussion about Ezra essentially rewriting much of the Old Testament. I mean, when you're talking about first and second Kings, first and second Samuels, first and second Chronicles, those were almost assuredly written by Ezra, as was uh, the book of Malachi, as was first Ezra and Nehemiah of second and Thursday of first Ezra, second Ezra, etc. But Ezra created more of that text than we know. It was a rewrite. It was a rewrite. And he was driven by the Ruach HaKodesh doing this, and he had 20 scribes and so forth, and they wrote 94 books. Right? People say, well, the Sefer only has 87. Well, that's 87 with the 27 of books of the New Testament. Esther was talking about 94 books in the Old Testament alone. Right? And so, uh, at any rate, when we see this, you know, when you look at, for instance, the Samaritan Torah, the Samaritan Torah with the five books of Moshe, but there is discussion out there that Genesis was not part of the original Torah. The Genesis was set aside, or portions of Genesis were set aside, and that they really never had all five books combined. They basically compiled those books over a period of time and said, this is Moshe's Torah. It's very clear that Moshe did not write Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy describes his death, right? So we know Moshe it could not have, at least Moshe didn't write the last half of Deuteronomy, you know, and so you have some very interesting questions there. And then when you see the Psalms, we see them in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You see uh, Yeshayahu, Isaiah, you see uh, Ezekiel in the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
but there's two copies of Isaiah and they contradict one another. So you have some, you know, you just have, you've got a whole bunch of interesting stuff in the record that comes back and says, well, what is this text, right? <clears throat> and so for us at the Sefer, we rely upon the Ruach HaKodesh to set it forth. It says, this is what we're going to do. This is what we do. And so that's what we did, right? But when you talk about the geography, the geography, the geographical record, the idea of the Reed Sea and where Moshe crossed and where, what was the original site of, of Jerusalem? Constantine had a, an interest in saying all of this stuff happened here under the control of the Eastern Empire. And it was his wife that went down into Palestine and said, that's Jerusalem. That's, uh, this is where Sodom and Gomorrah was. This is what Sinai was. She's the one that did it. She had no education. It was like sending down Michelle Obama to come down and say, oh, yeah, well, in my opinion, that's Miami and that's Atlanta. You know what I mean? That was her opinion, right? And so she went down and did this. And then, you know, and, and most of that stuff cannot be substantiated. If you ever take a trip to Jerusalem, you're going to find out that everybody and their brother has an opinion about where the tomb was, where Joseph of Arimathea's tomb was, which one is the actual Mount of Olives, where, what is the actual city of Shiloh. Uh, and, but you know for an absolute categoric fact that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is not where anything actually happened. You know, you walk in, you walk into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and they say, "Well, here's this is the tomb of Mashiach." Oh, is that right? Yeah, it was given to us by Ivan the Terrible in the 14th century. Well, wait a minute. That's about 1,400 years too late, isn't it? Uh, no, not in our mind, it isn't. And then you walk along the Via Dolorosa. This is the pathway that they walked Mashiach in it, on the path to his crucifixion. You know, through the Arab Quarter, make a right here, follow this down, right? And this is the path they walked him on the, on the path to the crucifixion. Except that it's at least 24 feet too high from the dust that settled in the city. Go look at the wall. You go up to, you know, that wall, you know, the, the hotel, you know, the wall. You go up to that wall. Okay, great. Here's all these bricks. Fine. Fantastic. They're trying to tell you these were the walls of the Temple Mount. Scripture says every stone was taken down. Oh, well, not these. These gigantic stones were taken down. But if you go to the left and you go into the synagogue that's there and you look at the glass underneath, there's as much wall down in the ground underneath as there is above. Okay, there's another 40 feet of wall down below you. Why? Because that place is very dusty and all the dust settled. And so all the stuff that you're seeing there right now is built on top of centuries of dust. So they have to dig to find the city of David, right? And so all of this was told, was given to us in the Greek record, told by the Greeks who said, all of this happened here in our jurisdiction, but it may not have. And Jasher gives us a completely different record. And this is why I do believe that, that Jasher is a bona fide book, that it was a text, it was a scroll that was found in Jerusalem and uh, sequestered. They got it out of there and they moved it to Sabia when the, when the, when the library was burned. Got to remember, uh, once again, Rome, what did Rome do? Oh, we burned the library in Jerusalem. We burned the library in Alexandria. We burned the library in Carthage. And then we'll, re we'll re rewrite it to our preference, right? This is what Rome did. You want to you want to know why it's dark ages? Because every time anybody had information, you know, at Carthage, Carthage was the California of the Roman Empire, right? You're talking about Libya. They that was a completely fertile 
agricultural area that they used to feed the entire Roman Empire. And the Romans are like, we're not going to put up with that stuff any longer. And they went down there and killed the whole leadership, burned down the library that had a record of all the agricultural practices. You know, uh, well, what do we do now? I don't know. Where's the food? Did anybody ask themselves that question? Just like, is anybody in Washington, D.C. asking themselves the question, where's the food? No, because they're stupid Romans. We don't need no stinking food. We just need power. Anyway, you got, you got me going here, Shelly. Well, you know, Dr. P, what I like to do, uh, you are a wealth of knowledge for us, and I could not appreciate it more. So I do try to pray and say, Father, what will place a burden on the anointing that you have placed in this man? What question can I ask to bring it out? <laughs> <laughs> so that's well, what you, I pray. <laughs> so thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. That that um, is awesome. And and just talking about that, you know, the cycles. It's just interesting. It seems to be coming around again, but yet we're also at a completely different, different, um, different scope. I I was looking at a cycle of the moon. And it seemed like it almost traveled, if you watched it across the sky, almost like a, a DNA helix. So even though it repeats, it's also moving forward. And I think that that's what we're seeing, even as we look back in history, we're seeing these things that were written for our admonition, and they're repeating, the cycles are repeating, yet we're also moving forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a very good point. And it's true. And you do see this cyclic, you know, in fact, this is a long time understanding really among philosophers as well. The pendulum swings, you know, it swings way out to the right and then it comes way back to the left. And this is why in Chinese philosophy, they teach you don't push the pendulum so far out this way because you keep pushing it out, pushing it out. When it comes back, it's going to go all the way back. And so when you have this extreme liberalism that we have right now in, in the world where everything gets a pass, right? Oh, all of that stuff, that's all legitimate. That stuff is all legal. You know, and you just keep pushing that pendulum up, 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 up. But when that pendulum comes roaring back, man, I'm telling you, it's going to be nasty at the other end of that thing. Really nasty. And, and in the meantime, even though we see this war against the Reformation, and the war against the Reformation is intended to bring us back into a dark age, Yah's intent is for restoration. And his people, who are called by his name, continue to seek and righteousness is given unto us the truth is given unto us and you know i'm going to be talking about this hopefully this thursday we'll be talking about restoration and i'm going to be talking about what that means for us as a people how do we restore because you know if we're in a situation where all of a sudden boom everything's ended and now look 120 foot tsunami hit the east coast there's no more government there's no more there is no more uh there's no more economy. There's no more this. There's no more. There's no more manufacturing. There's no more industry. Or world war broke out, or something like this. And or EMPs have gone off all over the world. Or as some people are predicting, these volcanic eruptions just you know create a weather maelstrom that is beyond our ability to cope. Well, then what? Then what happens? Then somebody has to say. Then the question is going to be, the question you're going to find from the people who were so quick to tell you, you either do what I tell you what to do, or you're losing your job. Those people, those very same people are going to be asking you the question, what do we do now? You know, that's what I think I find the most interesting because that's what I keep praying about is what is our, 
what is it the 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 response of the righteous in the midst of all this to me that's the most important question and i have a favorite story out of um the book of samuel i can't remember the exact reference but it's called the wise woman so david you know absalom's tried to take the throne there's you know trouble everywhere there's civil unrest everywhere and um the commander of David's army's going and hunting people down. So there's this one little town and all it talks about is there's the wise woman and Joe, I think Joab was the commander. And so she comes out, Joab, why are you trying to, you know, tear up this important town in Israel? And he says, well, because so-and-so is hiding there along with his followers. And she said, oh, is that the problem? Give me a moment. And then Joab's his head comes, this guy's head goes flying over the wall. And I'm thinking, now, why would this wise woman do this? Because she had a whole community of people she had to take care of. And a, a dissident was trying to use her community a, a, to hide in. Hiding behind gonna, women. Right. And yeah. I thought, you know, that's a, it's a different mindset, but but I'm thinking we have to develop a different mindset. Yeah, it is going to be a different mindset. But I think, you know, when, you know, my response is when somebody comes to me and says, well, now what? Now what do we do? I'm going to look at them and say, well, do you have any needles left? You know, if you got any needles left, why don't you go in the back room and jab yourself and see if that's going to cure your condition? Right. See if that's going to solve your economic woe. See if that's going to unload the trailers at the port. See if that's going to restock the shelves. See if that's going to replant the farm. Go ahead. Go jab yourself with the needle. While you're at it, don't forget to put up your picture of Fauci. Put up your picture of Fauci and go jab yourself and see if that solves your problem. I know. It's the difference of your position and my position, I'm thinking, how am I going to take care of these women who no longer can run to Walmart for what they need? What am I going to do to help these children? Whereas you're in a different yeah. position. So we're going to be thinking about things of how to handle things differently. Yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, we're talking about, you know, how do we develop an alternative currency when the dollar goes to a pancake? Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, what do we do? What do we do in those circumstances? And you're right. I mean, you know, uh, men have a different uh, have a different responsibility. You know, and but these responsibilities nonetheless come to burden us as the as the community. What do we do? That is going to be that's going to be the question that's going to have to be answered. And you're not going to find the answer in your sorcery. You're not going to find the answer in your idol. You're not going to find the answer in the fake names. You're not going to find the answer in the fake news. You're not going to find the answer in the fake politics. You're not going to find the answer in their fiat currency. None of that stuff is going to bring is going to yield an answer. The word of Yahweh yields an answer because it gives us a pattern of life and a restorative life and life abundantly. Yeah, and you know, I'm just not wasting my time, you know, getting too upset over who doesn't like the fact that I won't go along with the program. You know, if people don't understand it, I'm sorry you can't understand it. I'm moving on and I'm going to spend my time while I have access yeah, to yeah, information. Amen. I'm going to study herbs. I'm going to learn how to grow food. I'm going to think about what it's like when the power's gone and people are desperate. And what am I going to do to be the hand and feet of Yah on this planet? Well, hallelujah, Shelly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for giving us such a strong voice. But be very Thank you, selective. Dr. P. Be very selective in which head you throw out over the wall, okay? <laughs>
I will try to choose wisely. <laughs> Thanks, Shelly. Okay. No dissidents better be coming to my camp. <laughs> <laughs> Stay out. That's a fair warning. Don't even bother to show up. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Shelly. Hey, Chris, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Doc. How are you? Very good. Excellent. Uh, I don't know if this is the right. Look, I was actually just just on on that point that you were mentioning about the ships in uh, outside the harbors and they're not being uh, docked. And then I was I was thinking about we were talking about about the third of the ships being sunk in the Revelation, you know, and the oh, merchants yeah, looking far yeah, off. Yeah. And I was also thinking about what you said about uh, half of the volcano falling off or a third of the volcano falling off into the sea and imagine imagine there there comes the tsunami well there we go there's our solution there's the there's the prophecy fulfilled kind of thing yeah it's so true that prophecy that comes out of revelation 1821 an angel picked up a stone like a great millstone and right. cast it into the sea and of course you know there's all this discussion about and, and sorry doc what what is a millstone got it's got a hole in the middle isn't it yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, and, and the volcano's got a hole in the middle. Uh, you know, just a thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, very true. Yeah, and when you look at that whole thing about the, you know, about La Palma potentially being the realization of that prophecy, I mean, there are so many volcanoes going off right now. I mean, it's, I mean, it's something like three times greater than the all-time record yeah. of the number of volcanoes that are going off. And of course, one of the things, you know, I was listening to, uh, you know, I, I almost never listened to Paul, Paul Begley anymore. Because he just keeps saying, wah, you know, but he had, uh, he had Mike around the world. They released this video yesterday that was really quite comprehensive. And Mike was talking about some of the geological factors that are going on with these, all these volcanoes, one volcano, this, this Vieja, uh, Cumbra Vieja in La Palma and the Canaries, that volcano alone has produced more CO2 into the atmosphere than all of mankind's contribution in history. Now, you have the Pope here talking about, oh, we need to address climate change by keeping human beings from omitting CO2, right? Which is an, an excuse for a life license. It's for a life license. Because when you exhale, that makes you a criminal. You're a criminal by exhaling. So if we're going to allow you to exhale, you're going to have to pay a tax, right? And it's an excuse for redistribution of wealth is what it is. And to punish yeah. the countries of the Reformation. But... So what you see is when you're talking about, when you talk about this idea of CO2 coming into the atmosphere, one volcano, but you know, Kilauea is erupting. We've got volcanoes in Alaska erupting, you know, Etna's erupting. You've got this, uh, this Cumbra Vieja, you've got new volcanoes in Iceland that are going off. And there are seven huge, massive volcanoes undersea that are building new land masses, huge, huge mountains that are being formed under the sea. And, you know, plus, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing, there's a crack that goes all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. There's some gigantic mountain that's growing off the coast of Madagascar. And you have this, you have the potential for these volcanoes to be dumping ash and, you know, pyroclastic uh, uh, gases. Like you're talking, uh, you're talking about uh, uh, sulfuric acid, hydrochloric acid. This is with the stuff that's coming out of these volcanoes. And it's being dumped up into the air, these huge poisonous gases. And when they get up there, what happens? The atmosphere becomes weighty, weighty, because you've got all this particulate in the atmosphere. And so with the weight accumulating in the atmosphere, now your high pressure is going to be much more pressurized. 
your low pressure is going to be much more disparate from the high pressure, which means what? High-speed winds are going to increase. Lightning storms are going to increase. In fact, the number of lightning deaths, people dying from being struck by lightning is through the roof now, through the roof. And so you're going to see lightning increase. We're going to see windstorms increase. We're going to see hurricanes and typhoons, you know, record stuff that's happening. And in the meantime, seven volcanoes in the ocean is creating temperatures in the ocean, you know, 800 degrees Fahrenheit, right? I mean, so you have the ocean boiling where at the there's boiling points where these volcanoes are erupting. And with these boiling points taking place, what do you think takes place? You get a La Nina or El Nino in, in, in the centers of these, of these oceans, which is going to completely change the weather around the world. So you have somebody coming to say, well, we've got climate change, you know? And so, okay, it's one thing, like for instance, I notice the climate changes four times a year, right? It goes from summer into fall, from fall into winter, from winter into spring, right? And then it does it again. The climate keeps changing. Oh, okay. But that's not their argument. The argument is that there's something inordinate happening in the climate. Now, they wanted to tell us Al Gore, the pontificating blowhard, came out and said, oh, yeah, by 2010, I mean, I'll show you the quotes. By 2010, New York City is going to be under 15 feet of water. Well, you know, Al, in, in scripture, it says when, when you're out there and you're claiming this stuff is true and your prophecy comes to not, well, we've got to take you out in Sonia. And he came out and said, oh, the Seychelles are going to be completely overwhelmed with water. The Maldives are going to be completely overwhelmed with water, on and on and on and on. And guess what? They're not. And in fact, you know what? All of these super elitists, they all have coastal property right on the beaches because they don't believe any of that. They don't believe any of it. And instead, what you see is now a global cooling trend. Well, why would global cooling happen? Oh, well, it's because Americans drive SUVs. No, it's because volcanoes have pumped so much ash into the atmosphere, it's blocking the UV radiation of the sun. Now, if you're going to address climate change, which Bill Gates, remember Bill Gates, the omniscient Bill Gates, the omnipotent Bill Gates, who has the ability to wipe out 7 billion human beings or otherwise change the earth, he wants to go up there and put even more stuff in the atmosphere to prevent global warming. In the yeah, middle of like global the cooling, he's insane, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But when, when you understand that the reason the weather is changing, the reason we're getting climate change has to do with seven massive volcanoes erupting in the ocean, well, how are you going to address that, Pope Jorge? How do you intend to address that? You're going to go down there with a couple of cardinals and put a stopper in the volcano? What exactly are you planning on doing that's going to stop seven volcanoes from erupting? Answer is nothing. And so the ridiculous notion that some human being can stop the hand of Yah from moving on the earth, but what he's going to do is just, it's like, for instance, you know, we've, we've come to the conclusion, reading the prophecy, that Yah is going to flood the earth and cover it with water, because that's what he told Enoch. So what we're going to do is, we're going we're gonna to stop that from happening. Oh, yeah? <laughs> right? Yeah. How? That's ridiculous. Yeah, but, but you're right. I mean, like, yeah, so here's the prophecy. And the third part but, of the but, but, Doc, that, that wasn't what I was going to 
Oh, okay, go ahead, Chris. You know, Shelly got you revved up, and now, uh, you know, the rest of the people are going to wait a bit longer. <laughs> anyway, listen, uh, you know, I just want to correct it. I want to correct something. I did email you. Um, I don't, you know, remember the, uh, the, the, the T style Sigma, right? Mm -hmm. The 666. Yes. Now, uh, previously, I said, well, that could be the T. Right, right, and then that there's the Tsai, right, right, in, in, in the Caduceus, which you've explained. I don't think we're going to go into that again. And here's the Sclepius with it with a stigma. But what I came across is there's the C, right? The key row, the key row, yeah, yeah, right. The name of Christ, supposedly, um, and Constantine used that to go into battle and destroy people, which is, goes against uh, the God of peace, because now it's a God of violence. So what I was thinking is, we've got the uh, Jesuit order, right? The Jesuit art order. It's Isus Hominus Salvatore. And here you've got the three nails the triclavian uh, symbol of, of, of the three nails that, that hung Yahusha to the cross, supposed. But what I'm thinking is, see, it's a stigma. Let's start at C. We'll change Jesus for the rest of the world first, in the starting at the 17th century or so. We'll preach another Jesus. We'll preach a Jesus, and we'll change his name to Jesus as well. Um, and and then we'll go to the Cardusus, which is fiat Double currency, spacing. fiat currencies, and mm. and and um, uh, what is it? Uh, trade, trade, commerce, commerce. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and then we'll go to the Scle the Sclepius, which is obviously now. What's what's happening now with a with a vax, right? The mark, so, the stigma, the mark. Yes, the the yeah. mark. Yeah, right. So um, so that the plan is there by these guys to bring this probably in order. We go to this this little lady here, right? I don't know if you can see that. The bowl anyway, of Igea. Yeah. Yeah, the bowl of Igea. Right, that is uh, that is the symbol for pharm pharmacy, pharmacia. Right now, this is the daughter of Sclepius, and she's the goddess of hygiene or medicine. Uh, hygiene, well, to sure. hygiene, yeah, sure. Yeah, hygiene. Mm -hmm. So now, every time we sanitize in the shop, wherever we're going, we are now performing a ritual to hygiene. Which and, you see and, in the and, medical community is a big deal. You know, they wash and wash and wash and wash and wash. Well, yeah, correct. But I mean, you know, to walk into a, into a store and having to sanitize, you know, that's a different thing altogether. I don't know if you guys have got it there. We've yeah, yeah, it. we have it. We have it. The hand sanitizer, you know, which yeah, doesn't yeah. do anything. It does nothing except make for clean bacteria on your hand. Right? It doesn't kill anything. <laughs> correct. Correct. <laughs> But it's a ritual, right? So they've got us into, and then the mask, obviously, is also another ritual, right? 
They've got us into doing rituals to their gods without even knowing it. And, yeah. um, you know, we can go to Romans. We can see, well, he says, Any, anyone who you obey, that is your God. Well, that is, you know. That's exactly right. Right. That is exactly right. Anyway, I don't want to keep you too long. So sorry about that. I don't want to keep you too long. But yeah, I just wanted to correct that. I think that the T is 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 that Roman symbol of Christ, Jesus Christ. Well, you have to keep this in mind that the that the the Cairo or the Cairo that was used by Constantine, he was surprised because he put that on his banners and he started succeeding militarily. And Correct. there are many people who believe that he was using it as a formulation for the Greek word Christos, not Christos. Christos, which means good. Christos, right. which means anointed, right? And there have people, there have been people who've said, well, look, this this Kaitsi uh, stigma is actually a formation of Christos. And mm. you know, and uh, and I'm not sure of that at all. I mean, I can I can tell you that when we look at when we look at those letters, we see something that's very interesting. For instance, you're told in the phrase before that you have the mark, the number, or the name right, of the beast, right. right? So we see with this with this key, you know, you have this X, right? Well, mm -hmm. when you look at the the word number in Greek, the word there there is arithmos, and arithmos is not a settled number. It's an unknown number, like the x in an algebraic equation, right? Let's solve mm -hmm. for x, right? Let's solve right. for the key. That, that represents the number. It's an unknown number. Then you come to the stigma. Well, a stigma is a mark, right? We know that a stigma is a mark because you've been stigmatized. You've got the stigmata, stigma, it's a mark, right? And then you, mm -hmm. then you have this name, and then this name, and I think what, you, what has not been contradicted yet even in your own testimony, is that that name appears inside the caduceus. It's mm -hmm. clear that that mark is there in the caduceus, which is the marketing, if you will, the marketing of the serpent. It's the marketing of the serpent. It's the commerce of the serpent. Now mm -hmm. you see this bowl of hygienia, you know, this bowl of hygienia, which is very clear that hygiene is, you know, even Mashiach says, you know, you guys can talk about washing your hands. You clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy yeah. because you're a yeah. whited tomb, right? You want to talk about washing your hands when that isn't what's going to determine what's clean and what and what and what's clean and what's unclean, right? It's not, but you're right. I mean, the rituals have been imposed. It's all sorcery, and it's sorcery coming from people who are Jesuit operatives working on behalf of Rome, and and they are trying to exterminate mankind using sorcery to do it. That's what it is. And, and that's who added Anthony Fauci is. He's a sorcerer, pure and simple. Yeah. And, and you know, the, those letters in Greek were never meant to be changed. You know, the, 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 when the Greeks looked at that, that was the number. So it doesn't help you bringing it back to English 666, you know, or, or the way that we think in numbers. It, if you looked at those being Greek at that time, you will see the num that is the number. The, the number is given to you. It's not something you've got to work out. It's something right. that's there. It is given to you. Yeah, you and know, like if you had the Roman number, if you had Roman numerals, you know, C-L-I, right? You'd know that you would be talking, you'd be talking about 151, right? Right. Because it would be C-L-I. You would see it very clearly. 
but yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, this part of the reason yeah. why we restored the Greek. You know, as, as I said in the beginning, I don't, I don't want to make it any kind of doctrine kind of thing, you know, kind of weird, wacky thing. It's just that it's very interesting and it's just another facet. Uh, it's not that I've really been like uh, researching this, you know, to the nth degree. It's just that I've been thinking about it every time it comes up now. And yeah, every it's time, good. you know, good feedback you comes, you know. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that we need to put on the table. I mean, we, we none of us have 100% of the answers in Scripture. Yeah, 100%. But, but when, we, when we look at Scripture and we can see these things, we ask ourselves the question, well, what does this mean? What does that mean? And it's part of the inquiry of the student, of being a Talmudim, of being a disciple. Mm. Well, thanks, Chris. Yeah. Okay, let's go to John. John, how are you? I'm good. Sorry you can't see me. I can't get my uh, uh, camera to work, so... Um, can you hear me? We can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just thought I'd mention too, uh, based on shell, if you go to Ezekiel five, he talks about, uh, taking a third of the hair, a third of it's burned, a third of it is thrown to the wind. And then he puts a little tuft in his belt as that remnant. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, that wasn't the question. I just thought I'd remind you of that passage because I think that fits in with what we're talking about, the third, third, thirds, because it happens over and over and over again. That cyclical event that that uh, Shell was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're seeing so, it because this is, this is uh, what Yah does in his machination, right? A very important, uh, very important teaching. Thanks for raising that, John. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess when this, uh, the jab came out right away, uh, that was my, as soon as I heard that this was an RNA that could change your DNA, I knew that this was the mark. That was obvious to me, you know, in second Timothy three, three, it says, uh, the Greek word in there is irreconcilable. So there has to be something that creates man to be irreconcilable to the, to the rest of humanity, or to, to uh, our creator, right? And right. This that jab, takes you out of the book of life. It takes yeah. us out of the book of life. And and this jab seems to be the event. And of course, I've been saying this uh, for a long, long time. And every, oh no, it can't be the mark, can't be the mark. Just like you said, oh yeah, well now it appears you can't have a job, you can't do this, you can't do that. And still people say, no, it can't be. It's a precursor. It's this or that. Uh, no, 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 because you have to take it willingly. Uh, you know, uh, uh, if you're doing this willingly, it can't be deception. However, the other night, and I've read this passage, I have no idea how many times, but it always speaks new to you. Uh, Revelation 19, verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. Okay, so here we're speaking of this deception. And this deceiver has been out here from the beginning, from the garden, right? He's the deceiver. Right. He blamed him for the deception. Why do people still want to fall into this idea that, that, that this mark has to be revealed to them, that it can't be a deceptive thing? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point, John, that it is deception. And, you know, Revelation 18, 23 says, you know, by your sorcery, the whole world is deceived. And this deception that is brought on, I mean, it is a deceptive mark, right? And then mm -hmm. you get into the prophecies of Second Thessalonians that, you know, Yah will give them over to delusion, that they mm -hmm. might be damned because they did not love the truth. And so the question, what is the truth? What the truth is, is that Yah's world is perfect. 
We don't need some sorcery to, to, to keep us safe in the world. And those of us who are baptized in the Ruach HaKodesh are not fearing what's going to happen. You know, if we die from this thing, well, whatever, then we go and join Yah. Thank you. You know, but when, but when we talk about, when you talk about the deception that's brought on, I mean, you're very, it's very true. And when I hear people saying, well, this is a precursor to the mark. All right, well, what if you're wrong? You know, you're changing, you know, I mean, there is a 2012 case that says, once your DNA has been changed, you're no longer fully human. You don't have human rights anymore because you're not fully human. You can be patented just like Monsanto patents mm-hmm. You know, Pfizer can patent you. You're part mm-hmm. of the patent ownership because you modified your DNA. And once your DNA is modified, you're no longer, you can't say, well, I have human rights. No, you don't because you're not fully human anymore. You have become some kind of a cyborg. You have become a transhuman thing. You become a GMO. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so now people are coming to me and they say, well, what do we do for a religious exemption? And a lot of people are trying to do the religious exemption. Well, I oppose fetal tissue being used in, in hypodermic needles. Oh, is that right? Well, did you get the flu shot in 2018? Well, it had fetal tissue. Did you get a tetanus shot that had fetal tissue? Did your kids get a measles shot that had fetal tissue? Therefore, you can't be opposed because you already did it, right? And we've had some people get their medical exemption approved because we just tell them point blank, it's the mark of the beast. It's the Mm. mark. Why aren't you taking it? Because it's the mark of the beast. And I will be damned if I take it. Oh, yeah, well, you guys want to know? You want to know what the medical exemption is? Okay, I'll tell you. We just had a gal that got the medical exemption with Kaiser, right? One of the largest hospitals on the West Coast. A hospital chain on the West Coast. She got an exemption with them. Why? Because she told them point blank, it's the mark of the beast. Now, when you're sitting there in HR and you're demanding that everybody get this vaccine and you and, and somebody finally tells you, you are forcing your friends and neighbors and family members to accept the mark of the beast. Where do you think that place is you? Are the flames getting <laughs> higher? Can you feel the flames rising up around you yet? You know, you would think, but you know, it, it just, it, it, amazes me the leadership in this community how quick they were to succumb but you know we know this we know this is the case that those who have eyes to see and ears to hear it's not given to us because of our recognition it's given to us because the ruach has given us the opportunity to see it it didn't come from us it came from him he blessed us with it not we we walked into it ourselves and so, yeah, I mean, it is a deception. And, you know, what Chris was just talking about, that whom you obey is your God, that whom you obey is who you worship, because your obedience is that worship. And so when someone comes to you and tells you, you know, you have to obey this, then that is what that is your God. That's who you're worshiping. And you say, well, is and then what does it say? Is it better to obey you or to obey Yah? That's what the apostles act, ask in, in Acts chapter 2. Is it better to obey you or to obey Yah? We'll take your beatings. We'll take your abuse because it is better to obey Yah than it is to, to obey you. Now, this becomes real difficult. And for people who are now in a situation, they're going, well, I'm going to lose my employment. Why didn't you change when you had the opportunity? You know, I have people contacting me out of Washington. I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. Yeah, I told you that last year. 
you needed to get out of there. When you could have sold your house for a million bucks and moved out somewhere else, you should have done it. But you mm-hmm. didn't. You waited. Now what? You're going to wait. And you know, we, we were talking about the passage in Matthew 24 last night. People were asking, well, what does it mean? Should we flee from, you know, flee when you see the abomination of desolation, right? Well, it was very clear. It's talking about the people in Judea. Yes. Those who are in Judea, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, flee. What does that mean? Don't go back and get your cloak. Don't go back to your apartment and pack. When you see the abomination of desolation, book your plane ticket and get out. Well, guess what? The people in Israel didn't do that. Huh? What? Is this the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place? Well, what's the holy place? What does the New Testament teach is the holy place? What is the temple of Yah that was raised on the third day? There it is. Us. We're the temple of Yah that was raised on the third day because the body of Mashiach was raised on the third day. We are the temple. We are the stones of the temple. We are the holy place. We are the holy place. Does this cause desolation inside your body? No question. 94% graphene oxide, spike protein, mRNA changing your DNA, writing you out of the book of life. Spike protein being generated in every cell so that your immune system comes to war with you personally as it creates myocarditis, pericarditis, heart attacks, strokes, blood clotted all over the body, invading the brain blood uh, barrier to create what? Guillain-Barre disease, right? Polio, MS, uh, Bell's palsy. I mean, all of these things have been recorded. I mean, they're, they're, they're super numerous. Hundreds of thousands of people worldwide have recorded this they've reported this you got forty-eight thousand dead from the vax as reported on medicare's website in the united and that's States only 18 percent of the people that's 18 percent of the population is on medicare and forty-eight thousand of those are the ones who died so extrapolate that out yeah look at what it is look at what look at what we're seeing so when you see that kind of event you can see obviously that this is a destructive force And yet people are going to sit back and say, oh, well, I don't see that being the mark. Well, guess what? If you were in Israel and you had listened to the words of Mashiach and you knew that you were the temple, the instant you saw that vaccine, you should have booked your ticket and gotten out. Uh Right. And they didn't. And you know what? You know what happened to them when they didn't? If you're not vaxxed, you can't buy a plane ticket. Uh If you're not vaxxed, you can't catch the train to the airport. If you're not vaxxed, you can't catch a cab to the airport. Yep. So guess what? 90% of the people in Israel marked. And I'm, I'm waiting for the day that this lawless one comes and everyone who's had their jab then, he's going to claim ownership to them. Just, just as if in the marking of Ezekiel, right? And we're told in Revelation that, that hey, wait a minute, stop. We have to go and mel- mark those who are saved. Well, Satan's going to come out and say, uh, I own you, I own you, and I own you. All yeah, those who boom, have been marked. Boom, John. Boom, boom. Sorry, Doc, can I just uh, um, add to that? There's this movie called Lucy, and we know what that's short for. Right. Now, uh, in the end of that movie, 
the lady, I don't know who she is, but she 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 gets she 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 morphs into this black material that looks like graphene oxide, and she becomes the poor, she becomes the computer, right? <laughs> so so I mean, isn't that what they're telling us? You know, you are now got the graphene oxide. You are marked by the computer. You your soul is now uh, a commodity. That is exactly yes. what they're telling us to the point that Joe Biden's press secretary referred to the vaxxed as the marked. That is the phrase she used, mm-hmm. referring to the vaxxed as the marked. And so when you see this, now here's an important point, Chris, you just raised it, which is that the black goo, right? We know that they have, we've seen evidence that you take the graphene oxide, you put it in a bowl, you stir it up, and the stuff reforms into a circuit on its own. Why? Because it's sentient, it's sentient. Now, if what the disclosure is in this in this movie, Lucy, is that it's telling us, look, this black goo, which has been you know, discovered on the earth about 2008, this black goo is sentient. And this black goo, we know that with the CERN and everything else, we've been trying to cross this threshold into quantum computing. And, when, and what was the threshold that was crossed in quantum computing? The threshold was crossed when the black goo morphed into the AI. So what does scripture say? Scripture says that Satan, the devil, uh, that dragon who was the serpent, that old serpent cast out of heaven comes to make war with the saints, with the Kodashim. But he gives his power and authority over to the beast that rises out of the sea. And if that power and authority is this black goo, which has now become the sentience behind quantum computing. The interface mm-hmm. is complete between mankind and the second heaven. You know, just as we tried to build the Tower of Babel physically, we've done it digitally. We've done it electronically. Wow. We've crossed into that threshold. And in that threshold, the black goo, the sentience of Satan himself is now throughout the entire system. And you're right. But look, John, we're looking for a person right? We're looking mm-hmm. for a person to stand up and say, I am the man of lawlessness. I am the antichrist. I am the vile person. I am the, the little horn. I am the, right. you know, I am the this, that, or the other thing. But the truth is, what if it isn't? What if it is a cyborg? What if it right. is this beast that is AI, AIG? And we know that in Ireland, which has never left its allegiance to the Pope, to the papacy, they're building these huge giant statues that are going to speak mm-hmm. and they're going to deploy them all over the world well what speech are they going to give us they're going to speak just like siri or just like alexa it's going to be coming from the quantum computing brain which is going to say just as chris mentioned just as you mentioned john you are mine mm-hmm. you have the black goo in you your sentience is my sentience my brain is your brain your DNA belongs to me. Your mRNA is mine. I am claiming ownership. I have you patented under the patent 060606. Mm-hmm. The number of the patent, I have you, I own you. And the courts of the world are going to go, you know what? As a matter of law, that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and of course, Revelation uh, uh, 13, uh, it says here is wisdom. And that wisdom is Sophia. And of course, we have Sophia that was given uh, uh, citizenship in, in uh, Saudi Arabia. 
So yeah, this this artificial intelligence, this whole aspect is very tied in. Okay, I've taken enough time up, but thank you. This is no, John. I mean, a very good, a very good discussion point. And you know, and again, again, in these people, I've been contacted today. Well, Steve Mutria said, well, this guy who teaches Israeli Bible studies in Israel said, well, Monty Judah said it's okay to take the jab. Well, this pastor Grant said, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they, you know, they're all saying it's all okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And here mm-hmm. we can see very clearly that you've got a DNA change, that you are being completely infiltrated with the black sentient goo that is graphene oxide. And that graphene oxide is creating in you a slave to that AI. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know, and, and further that's John, let me just share this with you. Now, I was at a Steve Quayle conference, you know, and of course, Steve now is in the hospital, right, mm-hmm. with COVID pneumonia. But I was at this conference with him, and there was a, a, a professor from China who'd been teaching in China, and he was telling us about the five levels of computing that were beyond nanotechnology, right? Five levels, exponentially beyond nanotechnology. And he said, how many of you people want to become a cyborg where you have a chip placed in your mind or where you have graphene oxide placed in your body that becomes a chip. How many, and and all the Christians, oh, not me, we're all opposed to that. While Mm -hmm. all of them were sitting there with their smartphone in their hand, doing this, the whole conference. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, your flesh hasn't grown over it yet. That's the only difference. Your flesh hasn't grown over it. You take your uh, 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 credit card. Oh, now you can just dap it. Oh, yeah, you don't even have to slide it. You don't have to swipe it. You don't have to use the numbers. It's all right there. It's all this little chip. Pretty sure that's in all these new driver's license, all that stuff. It's all connected to this Internet of Things. And that's this uh, uh, Satan trying to appear omnipotent so that he can be as God. Exactly. That is exactly right. That's exactly right, right? And he appears in the temple of God. Mm-hmm. What's the temple? Exactly. That's us. Mm-hmm. He appears in the temple of God as God, saying he is God. Mm-hmm. Inside your temple, he's going to be telling you, I am your God. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think when we see this now, and I, I really thank you guys for bringing this up, because I think this is a big part, a big point for all of us, which is that when we ask ourselves the question, do we have the philosophical material to endure what is coming on the earth? When you see it now, the way, the way I'm seeing it right now, I'm seeing this just as crystal clear as it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. It's very, very clear to me. It, this does strengthen me to be able to have the resolve to say, hey, look, I'm not going there. And you can say it's a precursor and you can say the tribulation isn't coming for a hundred years. And you can say a bunch of other stuff. When I see cracks in the Atlantic Ocean that go all the way through the continent of Africa and 30 times, three times as many volcanoes going off this year as went off last year, which was 30 times higher than normal, and earthquakes increasing all over the earth exponentially every year, and it looks conspicuously like the whole globe is cracking up, why are you trying to tell me the tribulation's 100 years off, right? (laughs) Anyway, thank you, John. Thank you very much, man. That was great. Thank you. Yes. Okay, Felix and Melissa, how are you guys? Thanks for being patient. Great, Dr. P. Um, I'm a little hesitant uh, to even, uh, you know, talk, but I, I, 
as I talked to you last week and, and you you uh, were so um, just gracious to let me speak, um, but I just, you know, you were just talking to John about the vax and, you know, that we need to stand. And I revealed to you last week that uh, Felix and I in our personal time are reading in Second Maccabees. And um, I had uh, read a little excerpt about that. Um, and in Second Maccabees 6, 18, it starts off uh, that Eleazar, um, Eleazar, one of the principal scribes, an aged man and of a well-favored countenance was constrained to open his mouth and to eat swine's flesh. But he, choosing rather to die gloriously than to live, stained with such an abomination, spit it forth and came of his own accord to the torment as it behooved them to come. Now here's the part that, um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, there's a handful of us at uh, my, you know, my employ employer is uh, asking us to either submit to weekly tests or, you know, prove that we're vaccinated. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look in chapter 20, it says, as it behooved them to come that are resolute to stand out against such things as are against the Torah for love of life to be tasted, but they that had charge of that wicked feast for the old acquaintance they had with the man, taking him aside, besought him to bring flesh of his own provision, such as it was lawful for him to use and make as if he did eat the flesh taken from the sacrifice commanded by the king, that in doing, that in so doing, he might be delivered from death and for the old friendship with them find favor. But he began to consider discreetly, and as he became his age and the excellency of his ancient years and the honor of his gray head, whereon was come, and his most honest education from a child, or rather the holy Torah made and given by Elohim, therefore he answered accordingly and willed them straightway to send him to Sheol. For it becomes not our age, said he, in any wise to assemble, to disassemble, whereby many young persons might think that Elazar, being fourscore years old and ten, were now gone to a strange religion. And so they, through my hypocrisy and desire to live a little time and a moment longer, should be deceived by me. And I get a stain to my old age and make it an abominable. For through the present time, I should be delivered from the punishment of men, yet should I not escape the hand of El Shaddai, neither alive nor dead. Wherefore now, manfully changing this life, I will show myself such as one as my age requires and leave a notable example to such be young and die willingly and courageously for the honor, honorable and holy Torah. So that whole thing, the reason I'm bringing that up is because um, one of my, there's a handful of us, like I said, that are, you know, not vaxxed. And um, we have a deadline of October 15th. Um, HR sent us an email saying that we could apply for a religious exemption. Mm -hmm. And so we met as a group and one of us 
you know, went down just to kind of see, to get a gauge on, you know, if they were really going to even give serious consideration to what we're putting forth. And they immediately on the spot declined and the, uh, his religious exemption. And, you know, they, they make it basically impossible to get a, um, a medical exemption because, you know, where are you going to find a doctor to be able to do yeah, they, that? The only reason they're doing the exemption stuff is for lip service to the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Exactly, exactly. And so uh, the reason I bring this up, and I don't know if anybody else, I'm sure other people are experiencing this too, but it really pressed on my heart that um, this week, literally this week, someone approached me that was um, sympathetic, you know, that somebody that I trusted that was sympathetic to, you know, my position, and they have the means to which to offer me um, a vaccine card. And, um, and I thought, wow, okay, maybe this is yeah, you know, finding me a way to be invisible. But then when I read that, I was so moved by um, the fact that, you know, this this elder was given basically the same um, choice. Same you know, they, yeah, yeah. They, they, hey, you know, we, we can just kind of do a switcheroony and, and you know, you, we can make it appear that you ate this, you know, abominable thing that, um, you know, he chose to stand firm. And, and I, I do appreciate the fact that you, um, you are, um, you know, you're, you're urging us to come out and I, you know, my, my husband and I watch a lot of your teachings and stuff, but I just, uh, on the other hand, I, I'm not sure really that there's a, a place to run to. I mean, at some point we have to stand. Right, right. At some point you do, but Melissa, let me just share this with you. And thank you for raising this passage because this is a great teaching because many of us in America have the opportunity to provide a fake vaccine card, right? I mean, they're available all over the place. The difficulty is this, number one, the mark is so uh, prolific that when, for instance, when you go through a a scanner at the airport, they're reading your RFID number, right? When When you've had the vaccine, your RFID number comes right up. In fact, they can come to your door with their cell phone on and read your RFID number. All they have to do is go to their Bluetooth selection and if no RFID never comes up, you haven't been vaxxed, doesn't make any difference what card you have in your hand, right? I can look at my phone and see neither one of you have been vaxxed because there's no RFID number showing up on my Bluetooth scanner when I come to your door, right? So then now you face prosecution for having a fake ID card, for having a fake vaccine card, right? Which once they put you into custody, then they hit you with the vax as soon as you get there, right? And so the key is here is that I think this teaching is very, very true here. And we see that and this teaching here that's in Second uh, Maccabees is also reflected in Fourth Maccabees, where the discussion goes much more eloquently into that. And it's also discussed in the Martyrdom of Polycarp, which is a book, you know, we publish it in the book Havot. But the Martyrdom of Polycarp, they come to Polycarp and say, you know, you need to renounce your faith. He says, well, I'm not going to do it. Well, you know, they've passed a new law. You, you got to renounce it or they're going to kill you. Okay, kill me. Well, nobody wants to do that, Polycarp. We all love you. We think you're a great guy. Could you just say, you know, there you go. Thanks, Shelly, for putting it up. Can you just say, uh, 
oh, yeah, I, I'm okay with that. You know, just utter a couple of words and you live. And Polycarp's like, nope, you said it, now do it. You said it, now do it. Now, the thing is, is this, it, uh, Melissa, you need to look now and see who it is that's going to come to you and say, you know, Melissa, oh, I realize you're going to lose your job. I have another job for you. No vaccine required, right? I have, and you have to remember that the economy in this country is about to go splat. Why? Because the demon has come in and said, the priority is whether or not you're marked, not whether or not you can produce, not whether or not you can manufacture, not whether or not you can work, not whether or not you can think. It's whether or not you're marked. Well, that mark has no economics to it on the backside. You end up with a marked society, and then everybody else who could work has left. They're not doing it anymore. That's why there's all these ships at sea, because there's nobody to offload the ship. There's 100,000 truck drivers short of having a full loaf in the United States. So you got all these ships lined up. Hey, can we come to port? Well, you can come to port if you want, but there isn't anybody to drive your stuff away. So what happened? You know how much food is on those ships that's sitting there rotting now? You can offload them if you want. It's rotten. You can't bring it to market. And all these other goods that are locked up offshore, right? And it's locked up offshore. You could call it an artificial contrivance if you want. If you say that if Biden has engineered it, Facebook fact checkers will come out. Oh, well, that's not true. Mm -hmm. Biden didn't do that. (laughs) Which means that, of course, most assuredly is true. But the fact is, when they chase all the nurses out of the hospitals in New York, when you go to a hospital in New York, you're not going to get nursing care because there's no nurses there. When you chase all the people that know how to do bookkeeping out of the company because they didn't get vaxxed, guess what? Next year's taxes are going to be a complete mess because you got no bookkeeper. When you chase the people off to know how to do the manufacturing, you say, we don't need that guy anymore because he's not vaxxed. Your machine doesn't operate anymore because nobody knew how to rebuild the motor. Sorry, you're done. How about the mechanics at the, at, the, at the aircraft that are no longer fixing the jet engines? How about all the pilots that are vaxxed that are coming down with blood clots on a five-hour flight? You know, the next thing you know, you hear the flight attendant. Does anybody here know how to fly an airplane? Right? Because both pilots dropped dead during the flight. You know, this is the kind of stuff that's going on. What happens? Right. What happens when you do that to the economy? Four months from now, you're going to be saying, well, I needed to hold on to my job. And then your company goes completely bankrupt, is completely splattered. And all the people that have, were vaxxed are no longer getting a paycheck because they don't have any money to pay them. And then what are they going to say to you? Oh, well, guess what? Uh, you know, the only difference between me and you is that you ran out of money a month before I did. And I'm vaxxed and you're not. Right. I'm just wondering if, um, like I said, at some point we have to stand, like you said, and and we obviously we're looking at other alternatives and other things, but. um, Yah has a way for you out. Yah has a way for you out. Instead Instead of going to bed worrying, what can I do to hold on to my job? You need to look and say, what does Yah have for me? Because he has a way out. He does. He has a way out for you find it so, it so you don't think that it's um even worth our effort to join together to try to i mean i mean if everybody had joined together back before they got a better than half the population vaccinated if everybody had joined together back when i put out hashtag walk out and when the first employer came out and said you either get vaxxed or you don't work here anymore and everybody immediately quit and walked out and said great hr 
get down here and manage the cash registers. Great HR. Get down here and stock the shelves. Great HR. Get down here and drive the trucks. Great HR. You do it because all of us have left. Why? Because you're not telling us what to do. But you know what the average American did? Well, if I just compromise a little bit more, I'll be okay. If I just compromise a little bit more, I'll be okay. If I just mount those couple of words, renouncing my faith, I'll be okay. Right? Because they were serving their pocketbook, not serving Yah. If they had trusted in Yah, that Yah was going to say, I'm going to take care of you, it would have been okay. They didn't do that. They didn't trust. And people should have walked out. I proposed it in California. I told them, you need to walk out, walk out, walk out. And so they had a movement in, in Southern Cal. Walk out. For how long? Three days. Which three? Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Which means what? Call in sick on Monday. Sorry, that's not it. When you take the whole workforce and you say goodbye and everybody walks out the door, sorry, you guys are closed. I mean, I go into these supermarkets and these in these retail stores. You know, you have to have, uh, you either have to be vaxxed or you have to be masked and you have to be tested all the time. And then what? Help wanted, help wanted, help wanted, help wanted, help wanted. Why have they got help wanted? Because people who had conviction walked out. Those of you that are unvaxxed, gather them all up and leave in the same day, same hour. Say sayonara. Adios. You know, or as they say in Italy, you know. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but I think it's like that, that, little, that piece of lettuce I had stuck on my tooth, you know, it now belongs to you, you know. But the thing is that this is what, this is what has to happen. I mean, that's the most effective method. Scripture tells us what? Endure to the end. And that's what you have to do. You have to figure out how to do that. And you yeah. have to recognize that we can trust in Yah and he will provide. Yes, you will. Okay. Thank yeah. you, Melissa, for raising that. Thank you. It's a great, that's a Thank great lesson for us all. It, it wasn't just me that was uh, given that opportunity. I just wanted to share with anybody else out there that may have experienced that too. And I just thought it was so profound. Um, thank you, Dr. P. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Okay, Amy, I, I, I'm looking at you seeing a person who's trusting in Yah. Hi, Dr. P. Hi. I was going to share something else, but I'm not going to unread and see if I could read a scripture. But as we've been listening, and I'm getting a bit of a giddy stomach now because the father's like, I want you to share just a little bit of quick testimony of my own, just to encourage people because you know it's a testimony of truth. It's, you know, what I speak is true. I'm not going to speak to everything, you know, but because it's too deep but <clears throat> as you know I came from the UK with nothing and gave up I was on benefits which is I know it's not a job but it's every bit of income we had I had a house and but I wanted to leave and I wanted to because I knew it wasn't going to become or be safe and they were going to require mandatory you know systems that were going to come in and Yahweh heard me and he took me and my little boy out from the UK all the way to this country. And uh, as you know, uh, it's been really hard because we ended up on the streets um, by trusting somebody who portrayed themselves to be somebody they was not. Um, 
and uh, it's been really hard and I just wanted to say you know going through the fire and the refiner's soup is a real thing and it is a good thing but it's painful if it's getting done properly and uh, I just wanted to encourage people who are going through that uh, and I also want to say that recently our father we had nothing and that uh, my husband threw me out on the street with my little boy and uh, I was petrified and I don't really get afraid a lot uh, or at least I don't show it I try to uh, overcome and not allow the flesh to pursue me but uh, I was afraid more because I have a little cub to take care of a little boy but uh, anyway so I was losing in and out of belief and and you know as you know Dr. P I was in a field in 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 a, in a you know staying somewhere and you know I've been up and down and we had trouble with like governmental people trying to chase us to take my boy you know and I was just like oh my gosh it's literally terrifying and uh you know this stuff's real and and a lot of times I lost hope even thinking or believing that the father actually loved me and that was part of the problem which is the test of my amuna my belief in my father because this anti-one who's coming is, is, a, is a, as someone said earlier in the messages, it's psychological. They want you to believe that the father doesn't love you. And that's what he did with Mashiach too in the garden. You know, he tried to make him believe or to test the father, to test his love for him or test whether he was loved by him. And, you know, this stuff is real. And, and you know, on, a, on, a, on an encouraging note, uh, we had no money, no nothing. We're in an illegal status at the moment, which I'm totally fine with because it's actually not a bad position considering with what's coming. Although it's very difficult and my trust is pushed to the limits. But Father recently baruch me and I didn't think it was real at first, but you know, somebody came forward, a brother, and gave us uh, me a $9,000. And so I just want to lift people up who are scared to leave their jobs or their security or their comfort zone and just do it because it's what he wants. If it's, if it's led by the father, he, he wants you to really trust in him as, as a father. You know, a real father, like to the point where we're confident to go, do you know who my dad is? Do you know who you're messing with right now? And I don't mean in an arrogant way. I mean, in a boastful way, like Hannah, you know, you know, these these ones will chase us. They chased Elayahu, they chased Elijah. You know, we're dealing with Yazabaal, who's who's is is family of Shem Yaza, you know, Yaza, Yazabaal, they're all family members, and that's what we're dealing with. These evil Ruakot spirits are real. And uh yeah, that's also wanted to share. And and also Malachi three. Is that the scripture you shared, Dr. P, or did you read? something another scripture forgive me no i didn't share malachi 3 uh, what about malachi 3 it's a witness to exactly what you were sharing um i had that since i came to america and before that on my journey the father was showing me it says that the refiner's soap it speaks of a messenger then a refiner's soap and a refiner's fire but who shall stand in the day of his coming okay 
Okay, so this is a real, and now if we read on, we see the context is speaking to Yahweh's people because they have no discernment of who saves him and who doesn't. That's the result of the refiner's fire and the, and the, the refiner's soap purifier because many today call those who are good evil and those who are evil good. That's yeah, the so problem true. with his people and people are dying because of this. It's not lighthearted. I mean, people are being killed. And so when we get to the last verse of Malachi 3, it says, then after this, you shall know the difference between who saves me and who does not. Why? Because he's raising us up to be judges and the scriptures clarify him prophetically that his people do you not know that ye shall judge. And I don't want to just use the word freely, angels or messengers. This is something to do with discerning and being wise and actually knowing and being accountable for who is who and even who are you first who are we first in him do we serve him do we know him do we know who we serve is he a brutal father who wants to punish us persistently yes he brings judgment and i pray for his judgment because that's chastisement and if he doesn't judge me, and, and not wrath that's true if, if he doesn't judge me i'm at a loss Okay, because a good father will present himself well and bring their daughters and sons into, into him, but not in a subjective way, which is what we get taught nowadays. You know, I know I have, because that's part of my growth and my belief is the fact that I need to learn and know who my father is, that he's not a bully. He's, he's not, um, you know, one who wants to kill us. You know, because I've been taught this and, and you know, the, the parable of the wicked servant who buries it because I thought you were just like, so, you know, you're a father, you're high up there and you're just going to smack me one, you know, you're just going to kill me. And and the father actually says this one is a wicked servant and that must break his heart because they don't know him. And it's I'm true. guilty, and the, the I'm true guilty nature of that. Of yeah. The true nature of I, yeah, I just want to, I'm guilty of that because I have believed on my journey here that he was going to kill me and it was so frightening, but it did grow something in me. It changed me and it was the fire, a real fire, you know, and then standing and going, that's not who you, that's not you. My father's over there. His, he is good and his mercy endures forever. And he is a God of loving kindness and loving compassion and mercy who cares about his children. And he looks at us and he looks at us and he says, you who are covered in the blood of my son are dressed in white linen before me. I do not see your transgressions. I see only your righteousness. I see only your praise. I see only your worship. That's all he sees. The rest of the stuff is gone, it disappears. I wanna read this passage from Malachi because you raised something and it's very important. This is from Malachi 3, beginning in verse 16. Then they that feared Yahweh spoke often to one another. And Yahweh hearkened, and he heard it. And a sefer of record was written before him for them that feared Yahweh and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, says Yahweh, in that day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them. As a man spares his own son that serves him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, 
between him that serves Elohim and him that serves him not. For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, says Yahweh, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name, shall the brilliance of righteousness arise with healing wings. You shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in that day that I shall do this, says Yahweh Sebaot. It's such an incredible, such an incredible set of verses there, Amy. And, you know, and, you know, and this trusting in Yah, I mean, I can tell you, I went through a 22-month trial earlier on in my faith 22 months 22. it was 22 and it was 22 one month for each hebrew i left out right yeah exactly that's exactly <laughs> right and it was funny because yah gave me this 22 months it was like this 22 was going to be in my life and that was the way it was and 22 was in my life like you wouldn't believe and that happened by the way in 2002 <laughs> so yeah. here i was and i went through a 22 month trial where I lost 80% of my income for 22 months with a family of five, right? Wow. And so there I was, I was asking myself, how am I going to pay my mortgage? How do I do this? How do I pay my bills? How am I going to, how am I going to make it? How am I going to make it? And I can remember being in a cold sweat at night, panicking. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. What do I do tomorrow? How am I going to do this? I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And when it finally got to a point where my desperation was, you cannot believe how desperate I was. You, you just would not believe it. I finally had a client come through the door and I ended up with this client for four years. The other attorney that was representing his partner charged his partner $500,000 for the legal services that I charged my client 44000 for over four years. And my client was a very wealthy individual. And I remember meeting him and his wife and he was not a believer, but his wife was. And I was so desperate for money. I needed to have 1500 bucks or there was not going to be any food on the table and no gas in the car. And I talked to him about the case and I told him, I need a retainer. How much of a retainer do you need? 1500. And he said, well, I can pay you next month. And when he said next month, I almost broke into tears right there in this restaurant where I was meeting him. I was that desperate. His wife saw the desperation and said, write him a check right now. That was the only way I made it through that month. And three months later, in March, I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And I walked up into my bedroom and I just took my Bible and I threw it across the bed. I'm screaming at God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me like this? I hear you don't have to pay. Oh, loads of times, you know, yeah. loads of times yeah. because he's a real father, though. That's a real relationship. You know, afraid to wrestle with him, wrestling with him, you know, like. Yeah, well, he told me, he, 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 he said to me, be still and know that I am God. I read it last night. He led it to I just, me. And when when night. he said that to me, I heard it loud and clear. And I just zipped the lip. I zipped the lip and I said, I'm done with that. I'm done with questioning him. I'm done with challenging him. I'm done with screaming out in anger. And you know what? It ended. 
The 22 then you get on your knees, then you get on your knees crying and repenting, don't you? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's what's happened to me many times. No, just... no actually, I wasn't repenting at that point. I was <laughs> jumping with joy because I felt the whole thing in. It was like the, your trial's over. The 22 months have completed. I, there wasn't a dime coming in the door, not a dime. And I didn't have anything on the horizon, but I knew it was over. I knew, I just knew it was over. It was over. And so I was rejoicing. I'm done. I've, I've walked through the trial. I've walked through this thing. And you know, you know why he put me through that trial, Amy? Because I was a weekend believer. I'm righteous on the weekends. And during the week, I'm representing crooks and criminals and trying to help them steal money from other people. That's what I was doing professionally, right? Yeah. I said, you're not doing that anymore. You're, you can't have a foot in wickedness and a foot in righteousness. You can't yeah. do it anymore. And I'm yeah. going to burn that foot that you have in wickedness until you can't put it down in that set of coals again. I'm like, hey, 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 hey. And you know what? Then I looked at when I pulled out of it, I said, well, what do you want me to do? He says, I want you to represent these people. Yeah. That person there whose life is going to pot in a handbasket, that person whose life is ruined, I want you to step in on their behalf, not the guy who's fleecing uh, women who have got whatever left they had in their bank account. Stop yeah. representing that guy. It's Malachi 3. It's so true. And I find, and, and I did. And when I stopped doing that, it was crazy because I mean, I was in the middle of a company that was uh, preparing to do a $750 million lawsuit. Okay. Uh, and I found out their iniquity. I found out that their inventor had stolen their invention. And so I went, I had, you know, I had to go to the corporation and tell them. And I went to the corporation. And I said, look, you know, look, there's a new law, right? There is this law, Sarbanes-Oxley, that requires me to disclose to you when I, when I see fraud. And I'm telling you, here it is. And I went to the corporate meeting and I'm telling you, it almost resulted in gunfire. People were screaming and yelling and chase, trying to chase me out of the building. And, you know, <laughs> and I'm just telling them, look, you can say whatever you want, but this is what the deal is. Your inventor stole the patent. And they didn't want me to say that publicly into the meeting, into the minutes. Yeah, they never do. It cost him 750 million. Okay. That's what happened to him. And what can I tell you? And, and what I walked out on $125,000 in legal fees that they owed me at that point. Uh -huh. 125 grand, right? Uh -huh. Never received it back, whatever. And it was never reconciled. But Yah reconciled his life to me. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. I, You trust in me and I'm going to take care of you. You trust in me and I'm going to do this. You trust in me. Yeah. It's been the most frightening thing I've ever done. I mean, being as a diabetic as well, which I don't declare because I don't say that name. I didn't buy it at a shop. It was given. It, it came when I was 17 and I know he's going to heal me. It's 22 years this year. I keep telling you. <laughs> 22 years. There you go. Right? 22 years. Yeah. And I'm in contact <laughs> with you and we've been knowing each other for years now. And it's like, I just, I'm sorry if I've talked up a lot of time. I just felt that the father was inside my stomach. You know, he wanted me to speak from my stomach. You've spoken you know, a good word today. Oh. You've spoken a good word here today, Amy. You have. And we've had some very good words here today. You know, I think Melissa's testimony about us being willing to ignore the fraud and step out and say it is better for our lives to be shortened than it is to be fraudulent before Yah. And you stepping up and saying, we need to trust. We need to trust. We need to trust. 
And, and your testimony, the words of your mouth by your testimony today is the trust that God is going to place into your life. You know that he's doing miracles right now. You know that. You know that. I just feel like I've been so unfaithful to him, which I know we are, aren't we? That's what we are, but that's the whole point. And Well, like I say, that foot of unfaithfulness now has scar tissue on the bottom. And you don't yeah. want to step on those coals again, right? No, but okay. you know what I mean? I mean unfaithful in regards to you know, not having enough of moon in him and being frightened. And oh, sure. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, there's, I mean. you know, when, when people say I'm without sin, oh, you're without sin. Oh, is that right? Have you lived your life 100% by faith today? Well, no, I have, I had this responsibility, that responsibility. Okay. Then guess what? You're not without sin, right? We all sin and fall short of the glory of Yah. But the holy person is the one who seeks righteousness and his repentance king david is a very good i mean he he was a premeditated murderer yeah no question okay yeah. so you know this is this is i just want to encourage people and, and i pray that i have that's it was him who was in my i know when he's in my you know when he's in your stomach you know yeah. you know like when you go off on a, as a bottle of pop because <laughs> the father's right there <laughs> and, you're right, and you're like what do I to do? and everyone's like you know, because it's it's given, it's coming from the Ruach, you know, and sometimes when that comes, the Ruach, the flesh trembles, and, you know, I'm just grateful for this group, and I, and I pray this has been a barakah blessing for anyone. I know there's people in this group struggling, though. I know there's, and you know, you know, there's people yeah. really walking the walk. Yeah, yeah. Well, blessings to you, Amy. Thank you. And you love you all. Okay. We're going to go to Brian and Chris. Brian and Chris, how are you? Great. Um, my question is about Matthew 24, 14, um, why you uh, get there. This is the first after you were just talking about earlier. But I just wanted to say that I believe we're under a huge testing. Um, think of the book of Job. And you, you remember, Yahuwah does not tempt. Satan tempts. Yahuwah tests. There's a big difference. Um, how coal, how diamonds are made is from heat and pressure. He wants us to become the diamond when we're going through this testing. We're going through the fire like the, the boys in the book of Daniel, the uh, Hebrew men in the book of Daniel uh, had to go through the fire. And it reminds me of a scripture, 12.7. I believe Daniel 12.7 is at work right now. Um, Satan is trying to scatter his people to the four winds. And uh, at the end of this, Yah is going to gather us. So it also it reminds me of a scripture that manna will be falling again. Second um, Baruch 29, 8. It says the manna will be falling away. He has a place prepared for us. So we cannot be worried about man's fear. The spirit of fear has been unleashed on this earth. Man's fear. But we can't fear man, nor can we feel fear our flesh, because our flesh has nothing to do with this. We have to be true for him in spirit. But my question is in Matthew 24, 14, and my question is about the... Um, Truth going forth all through all the land, the true gospel. And I don't believe this has gone forth yet. The Christians believe it's gone forth. But I don't believe this has been fulfilled yet. Um, so the end cannot come yet. And my thoughts on it, uh, my question to me here, um, the, uh, Brother Stephen, is the fact that um, this part here where it talks about it going to the, the, the whole earth. So the only thing I can see that happening is the 144,000 or the two witnesses causing this to go forth through the whole world. What is your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. I think the two witnesses are going to be called to do some things that are going to be quite interesting. And, uh, you know, and the question is, who are the two witnesses, right? I mean, that's also another question. Right. And again, what is the, the true gospel? What is the gospel of the kingdom? What is the gospel of the kingdom? And I think the gospel of the kingdom is something much more than, than what has been preached in the Christian church. You know, the Christian church is, you know, it depends on what church you go to. Some, in some churches, the gospel is the kingdom is thou shalt tithe so I can get rich. That's one gospel that's preached a lot. Then you have another gospel that's being taught right now. The gospel that's being taught right now is the gospel of the vaccine. That's what the governor of New York has called it. And she said, I need everybody to be my apostles and to go out and preach the gospel of the vaccine, right? Because the vaccine saves. I mean, that's the language they're using. But the true gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is something else. You're talking about the ordinances of Yah. You're talking about the restoration. This is what we've been talking about today. There is a restoration coming. What is that restoration? Can we know it? Can we see it? Can we understand it? Can we share it, right? what that restoration is. And I think there is something to be said for, first of all, the gospel begins with what? The name of Yahweh. Hallelujah. It begins with the name of Yahweh. That's where the gospel begins. And then it begins by what? When you say we have salvation, we have salvation, but we're called into obedience for it is better to obey than sacrifice because I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And it's written, Hosea said, I desire that you obey me, not sacrifice. I'm not interested in your bull. I want you to hearken unto me. Don't come to me and say, look, I sin, but I sacrifice the lamb. Don't sin, obey, hearken unto me. Don't do it. Follow what I'm saying. Instead of making an excuse and then bringing out a bull or bringing out a lamb or bringing out a tithe offering or bringing out a, uh, an indulgence, just obey my voice, right? And then Jeremiah 7, 21 says the same thing. I didn't tell you to slaughter bulls when I brought you out of Israel. I told you, obey my voice, and then I will be your Yahweh, your Elohim. And so we see, here we go again with this idea. So it begins with the name of Yah. And then, it, then we have to be able to share the world. This idea of salvation that is preached in, in Isaiah 61, that I will set the captives free. You have to be set free. What is setting the captives free? The Roman leash, the leather Amen. leash that is around your neck and is attached to that Roman hand. That Amen. is set free. That leash is cut. That leash is cut and you are set free. The captive is set free. And sight is given to the blind so that you can see the truth. And this is something that can happen to you anywhere on earth that you can understand the mission of Yahweh. So do I know how it's going to be preached into the whole world? I don't know. But I do know the question is going to become, just as we saw in that passage in Zechariah, when it comes to two-thirds are gone and the one-third is being brought through the fire, when that one-third comes through the fire, they will know. And they will say, Yahweh Elohai. There's not going to be a question about it. It's right. going to be, you know, so... How is the gospel going to be preached throughout the whole earth? It's going to be preached not by word of mouth, but by the in the events that we see coming upon the earth. Mm -hmm. These things are going to preach the gospel. And in the meantime, you have a ton of people out there, people that, you know, I've been at conferences with many of these people who are supposed to be preaching to you the truth and instead are not. They're lost in this whole deception. 
They've been captured by deception. Why have they been captured? I don't know why they've been captured. I don't know. I don't have the answer why they've been captured. I don't know. But what I do know is this, is that there, the gospel is being preached because Yah's hand is moving on the earth. It's moving on the earth. And there's not going to be a question. It's not going to be, gee, let's listen to so-and-so teach us on his YouTube channel about what is the gospel. No, Yah is going to proclaim the gospel. Mm-hmm. And But Paul says it is by the hearing of the word that it's understood. And so you can be you can be looking at Yod Hey Vav Hey until the cow comes home and goes, uh, how do you pronounce that? How do you pronounce that? How do you pronounce that? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Then you hear Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And when well, you hear it, life changes. One more quick thing is you know, we were we had that understanding before this the jab even started that we, you know, we changed our eating habits. We watch everything that goes in our mouth as best as we can do. We research things both even supplements, even, you know, that comes in a gelatin cap, we won't take it because that's made of sometimes pig uh, fat. So, you know, there's, there's a whole list of things. It's not, so we're the temple and we cannot pollute our temple. It's not just pharmacia, but it's all over. It's the food. They're starting to mess with our food now. Oh, They're starting yeah, to put yeah. things in our food. Oh, so yeah. we have to be very careful. And that's why this scripture, I love the scripture. He says he's going to provide manna to us again, because there'll be no yeah, angel's food. Um, he, there's a, he's, there's no way flesh is going to, he says, if he doesn't hasten his return, there'll be no flesh left alive. So he has to do something to preserve, preserve his people, but we have to trust him for it. We have yeah, to be man, willing man, to man, trust man. him for it. Well, oh, let's take a look at that passage, Brian, right here. Second Baruch 29 verse eight. And it shall come to pass at that self same time that the treasury of manna shall again descend from on high. And they will eat of it in those years because these are they who have come to the consummation of time. Hallelujah. 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 I mean, isn't that second Baruch just an incredible book? Oh, I love that. That and fourth Ezra. Those are my two favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same here. I mean, I just love them. They just say so much. Well, thank you, Brian. Thanks. Appreciate that. Okay. Bettina, how are you? Hello there. Hi, Bettina. I, need, I have two things, but I need to show you this one first, okay? Okay. Can you see this? Hold it up a little higher. A little closer. You can see right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen this. See that little girl? Yeah. This yeah. is what's happening to these children that are getting tested at school. It's breaking the capillaries in their nose. This is what's going on. And they're doing it deliberately so that they'll choose to get a vaccination the parents will get a vaccination yeah no yeah it's wicked i mean it's child abuse but guess what if you did it at home they'd pull your kids from you exactly. they can do it at school all day long right it's crazy okay the second this one is just out of curiosity because i've always wondered when the, when they refined gold and silver back in the day they only had like when you make a when you make a bonfire, how did they get the fire hot enough to melt silver and gold? Well, actually, Tina, that's not accurate. There has been some historical discoveries that indicate that Solomon had a furnace that was capable of 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. How did they make that hot? No, I don't know. I don't know the technology. All I can tell you is that even at the time of Moshe, 
they created heat sufficient enough to create monatomic gold because they talk about gold being heated to the point that it became a white powder that they would put in a drink and force people to drink it, right? They would force them to drink the monatomic gold. Well, monatomic gold requires at least 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. That's what I'm asking. I, I understand that. But where did they get this? Where they get the technology to do it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that I don't know the furnace technology and how that works. But all I can tell you is that there is scriptural record, even in the Pentateuch, that indicates that they had the, these kinds of furnaces yes, and, uh, and capable of doing that. And, and you know, when you talk about uh, copper and tin being mixed into bronze, for instance, they were doing alloy work very early on. I mean, 1500 BC, they had alloy work doing. And so I don't know if it came from watcher technology or where it came from, but we do know that they had furnaces that were that had that kind of capability. We think, you know, we're taught by Hollywood, Cecil B. DeMille, you know, everybody ran around in wool garments and they were all, you know, just kind of eating sheep with their fingers and on and on and on and on. But then you go to Egypt and you find technology that was so sophisticated that they have these massive granite uh, tombs, if you will. We think they're tombs, but they I mean they're like 72,000 tons each. And they found a group of them. And inside these tombs, you go in there and you walk in with an engineer square right now. And you can put it in every corner and it's perfectly square. How did it get that way? And there's not a mark of a cut on any of the stones. We can't duplicate that today. But they did then. When you go to the, when you go to the walls of Machu Picchu in, in Peru, you have stones that are cut so perfectly, you can't put a hair between the stones. There's not a lick of mortar. There, nothing is in the same order. It's all random cuts. And you, you look at the wall across from it, which is a mirror to this wall here. And those walls were capable of standing up to every kind of earthquake you can imagine because of their randomness and their order, right? How did they do that? How did they do that? No, that's what I was telling Debbie. I said, look, I was showing her this stuff. Going, look how perfect these lines are. You can't do that with the hammer and a chisel. Everything's yeah, the, perfect. Yeah, yeah the antediluvian record. The antediluvian record. You know, you know what I found out a couple of days ago? They found a pyramid the size of the Giza pyramid off the coast of one of the islands in the Azores in the middle of the Atlantic. Okay? This huge, and it's, it's you know, a fisherman was out there mapping, looking for fish, and he finds this perfectly square thing, and they went down and explored it. And here's this magnificent pyramid right there in the water, right? And so they're thinking, well, this might have been Atlantis or whatever. Every time they find a pyramid, they think, they think it's Atlantis, but there were pyramids all over the world. And they may have been, those pyramids may have been generating Tesla's power network. You know, Tesla had, had proposed a power network that would provide free electricity all over the world. Those pyramids may have been an inter, uh, uh, you know, an interplanetary network of power generation stations that were capturing, you know, static electricity such that they had electricity all over the world, and it was freely given, right? I mean, this, it's very possible that the antediluvian record is going to disclose this, the, the pre-flood record. They were far more advanced. There, there's evidence, for instance, on the Sinai Peninsula that nuclear weapons at one time went off there because they find this evidence of the residue from a nuclear weapon. What nuclear weapons went off on the Sinai and when did that happen, right? 
possibly an antediluvian record of that taking place at some time before the flood, right? And there is mythological record in the Hindu record that discusses just in fact that. So you have a lot of technology that was out there that was really quite incredible. And uh, you know we're only seeing some of it now. And of course, you know, the archeologists, we try to explain it the best we can with the knowledge we have today. Oh, they, you know, like the, the, the serpent mound in Ohio that's 22 miles long. And the archeologists are telling us, yeah, they did that by taking sticks and scraping dirt onto a little piece of fur and carrying it up there. I mean, you know, this insanity, it's just crazy, right? Why can't you accept that maybe they had advanced tools that they used? That would be neat to find out, wouldn't it? Because even the pyramids in Egypt are made out of granite, are they not? Or even pyramids the in Egypt are absolutely alarming in there. You know, but when you look at the pyramids, you think they're four-sided, right? They're not four-sided. They're eight-sided. They actually indent in. Each oh, wall wow. indents in a little bit and then back out. And when you see that, when and then when you look at that pile of rocks, you're going, these guys did this, a bunch of guys, you know, carrying rocks on, on uh, logs, they, you know, Bologna. Right. That's not the way it happened. And they're so sophisticated. The, the, the pyramids in Giza point to exactly due north. I mean, to a precision that we cannot replicate such that on the equinox, you get exactly two equal shadows on either side. And how can you tell? Because the pyramids go like this. They're not just a flat surface, right? And, and there's a book out there was a, a, a British mathematician who wrote extensively on this. But I mean, this guy, he came in and he looked at the math of Giza and what it predicts. And I mean, I was reading his, his treatise and I was just completely overwhelmed with what is in that treatise concerning how those pyramids got there and for what reason and what they reflect mathematically, okay? And that guy, that poor guy, when he discovered it, I think he discovered it in, in 2011, something like this, and he started writing about it. In 2014, he came down with serious cancer. He got his work finished in 2016, and then he was dead. And, uh, but, you know, there, there's two records there. One is, of course, of Stonehenge, which also records a phenomenal record that Stonehenge in itself predicts the orbits of the 10 planets in the solar system to within three decimal points of accuracy in that stone configuration. What are you talking about? This guy was an atheist that made the discovery. And when he discovered it, he just went, okay. First thing he discovered was that there was an algorithm and the algorithm is exact in predicting the exact place of, of Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, et cetera. It's based on an algorithm, one algorithm that predicts the orbit of all 10 planets, which told him conclusively that it's no possible way that this was a random event in the solar system, but that it was exactly contrived, exactly consciously created. That is to say, intelligent design. They were given, they were given just like, yeah. oh, that's why I kind of wanted to do. Remember, I kept asking you to do a thing on frequencies because um, even like in, in Maccabees or um, Jericho, you know, when they went around and they blew the shofar and the walls fell down or when the Maccabees, all they had to do was just scream and everything came down, a frequency or a vibration. Mm -hmm. You understand well, what I'm I mean, saying? I can tell you, this is very easily proved, you know. Back in the days when I was a musician, you know, we always were, you know, we were always students of acoustics and of amplifiers, right? So, you know, we had PA systems that were 10,000 watts, for instance. 
10,000 watts is an enormous amount of wattage. Altec Lansing used to build an amplifier that was 100 watts that was used for tearing down buildings at 100 watts. Because you could take that 100 watt amp and you could produce a frequency that was a subsonic frequency below 10 hertz. And you hook that vibration up to a building and it will force every nail out of the wood. That frequency will. Now you can test this yourself. You know, if you take a frequency and you go, and then you put a frequency just a little bit low, and you put those two frequencies together, you get, you hear that vibration, right? Well, this is what harp does. You have this high, uh, high altitude antenna array. This antenna array puts out a frequency at seven Hertz, which is very low frequency, bounces it off the ionosphere to a target. Then you have another harp device that puts a frequency at six Hertz right next to it. So you have these two subsonic frequencies. The frequency length is about 250 feet per wave. And one is slightly different than the other. So it's going only it's doing this in a subsonic frequency and it's doing it at 100,000 watts. So as a consequence, they can create an earthquake. Right. They can, put yeah. the, they can target that frequency at a particular crevice and create an earthquake with it, right? And so, yeah, so frequencies, and we could get into a much more, a, a greater discussion about that, but all I can say is, and I've wanted to teach on this for a long time, actually, and I will eventually. Get please, into the please, I've been asking forever. Yeah, yeah, well, thank you, Tina. And, and I will, I'll get to it, I promise. You. Even remember I sent you, just one thing, I sent you that video of the sand that was on the table and they did this one frequency and it moved the sand and made a design. Yeah, that's 432. Design. 432 hertz at 432 it will create a symmetric design at 440 it creates chaos and that's why they move the frequency up to 440 because again you're imposing the algorithm of rome on life it's inordinate it's not natural we're going to move it up into an unnatural place and then that's the music we're going to give you and if you go back to world war ii i mean you want to talk about music that will inspire anxiety Go back and listen to, uh, what's his name? Uh, forget the guy's name now, who wrote the Ode to Hiroshima that's paid, played with 32 violins in front of the bridge. <laughs> you know, uh, you know. I mean, it's enough to drive you nuts, right? And especially at a 440 frequency. So you're right. I mean, these frequencies, when you talk about harmonic frequencies, harmonic frequencies glorify Yah. Dissonant frequencies do not. They tear down creation. But harmonic frequencies glorify Yah. This is why when a person sings the one, Yum, and another person is yum, and you have the third and the one at the same time. It's a very constant frequency, and that creates a very constant wavelength, which blesses you and instills life. It creates life in a person. Oh, I hope we can do a show on this one day because it'd be really interesting. Okay, all right, Bettina, I'm going to take that as a suggestion. Please. <laughs> okay, thanks, Tina. Thank Hey, let's go to Eileen. Hi, Eileen. How are you? I can almost hear you. Just a minute. Click your space bar again. There we go. No, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Now, it's possible, Eileen, that you that when you entered the thing, you didn't put turn on your computer audio. Look down in the left-hand corner and see what it says concerning the mute function down there in the left-hand corner of your screen. Do you see it down there for audio? Yeah, I'm not hearing you. 
Sorry, you're probably gonna have to rejoin it. Can you put some stuff in the chat room? Sorry, Eileen. Okay, thanks. Okay, all right, we gotta move on. We have to go over here to Dan and Ethel. Brother Pigeons. Hey, how are you? How's everything? Yeah, very good, very good. Good deal, good deal. Any moose lately? Uh, no, I'll tell you, although I got to tell you, one of the guys in our Bible study, uh, his son last week sent us pictures of this moose that he got up by his cabin, 55 inch rack, right? Oh, you know, massive. And he says, oh yeah, by the way, there's a bigger one out here still. So I think, uh, I don't know if they're still out there doing the hunt, but that's where they were, you know. Got it, so got that, it. Before, before we're over, I'll, I'll show you a quick, uh, give you a pick at the, at the museum in the back. Yeah, Before yeah, we yeah. Quick beat. But uh, spe speaking uh, to what Brian said earlier, uh, the two witnesses, interesting enough, um, I just wanted to mention that uh, Mashiach said um, uh, in Matthew 17, 10, it says, his Talmudin asked him saying, who do the sages say Elijah, why do the sages say Elijah will come first? And he answered them and said, indeed, Elijah will come and will save all the world. I say to you, he has already come. They did not know him and they did to him according to their desire. And interesting enough, I believe that it's not going to be a physical two witnesses. I believe it's going to be a people. I believe yeah, yeah. there's yeah. In there with Yahuda and with, uh, Yash, you know, Yasharel. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's just gonna, and and I and I believe it's happening. I really believe it's happening, um, and uh, I just want to share that because I, I think we have to come out of that old, um, uh, if I can say it, Christianity mentality, right? But we, you know, that that doctrine. Well, it's know? a long, it's a long-standing teaching. But if you look at Revelation itself, Revelation is kind of self-defining. So we know in Revelation 11, when it talks about the two witnesses, it says, it says, these are the two, it says, these two witnesses shall prophesy for a thousand two hundred and three score days, and they'll be clothed in sackcloth. Well, that means what? They're going to be clothed in repentance, right? They're going to be clothed in repentance. And it says, these are the two olive trees and the two menorahs standing before the Yah of the earth. Well, that's pretty clear. And when you look at the two menorahs in Revelation 1, it tells you that what are these menorahs? These menorahs are the seven churches, right? So we know that when you're talking about two menorahs, you're talking about two assemblies. And then it says these are the two olive trees. Well, you can go back to Zechariah 4, and you can see these two olive trees being discussed, whose oil is coming down to light a single menorah. And then in Jeremiah 11, it says, I called you the whole of the house of Yasharel, a green olive tree. And then Paul in Romans 11 is going to tell us more. He's going to say, look, there is this domestic olive tree into which you were grafted, right? But it's very important because a proper reading of Romans 11 tells you that both the house of Yehuda and the house of Yasharel were, those branches were removed from the root. They were all taken off, all of them. There is no branch that is not grafted back on, including the house of Judah, including the house of Yasharel. They're grafted back on. And this teaching, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all talk about the two houses. 
And so if it is, in fact, these two olive trees, which is Yasharel and Yehuda, and it is these two called out assemblies, which is Yasharel and Yehuda, they will form the one new stick, right? The hand of Yosef in the hand of Ephraim and the stick of Judah that form together to create this tab that is the testimony, the martyrs, right? What is the word witness? Martyr, martyr, right? What is a false witness in the Greek? Pseudo martyrios, pseudo martyr, a pseudo witness. But, the, but the, the witnesses are the martyrs. And who are the martyrs? Those who are dressed in sackcloth, right? They're repentant. Now, is Elijah going to be repenting? Is Moses going to be repenting? Is Enoch going to be repenting? I'm scared. Whoever the people think they are, that they're going to be these two witnesses. No, but who is repentant are those who are the remnant, who come back and say, I am of the house of Yasharel. I have joined with the strength of my testimony, have I been grafted onto the root? And then, and then, and you know, and I think you're right. I mean, I think what you're talking about here, Dan, is really good because I think we are seeing this witnessing going on. This witnessing is happening right now. It's happening yes. right now. In the 1260 days, the witnesses are testifying, and they're saying, "What? Come out of her, my people! Come out!" They're testifying against the wickedness of the sorcerers. They're testifying against the beast. They're saying, "It's it's you. It's me. It's us." I mean, yeah, I have mercy on us. Amen. Hallelujah. I also wanted to mention real quickly, um, I, that caught my attention, I, so I thought we should have addressed it. Uh, but uh, I don't know if you're familiar with what's going on with, uh, and I actually we shared last night in our group. Uh, so I like to call him Potato Francis, Bergoglio. Uh, <laughs> yeah, potato Francis, one. okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a papa, potato. Anyways, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... Uh, they're having a, uh, uh, a conference November 1st to November 12th with the UN in Europe somewhere, and they want to declare- Glasgow, a Scotland. Okay, so you know about it. And it's a seven-year pact, interesting enough. I, I, I honestly believe that we are already in that pact, uh, that you know we're closer than what we think we are. Um, speaking to um, being ready, uh, and knowing that we can't hide from these things, these things are coming, it's happening. We already see how the Noahide system is tied into this as well. Yep. Uh, so we have to see that it's all coming in. And in fact, um, just to throw something else in the mix, Georgia, I, I believe were, was uh, speaking about bringing the guillotine system back. Uh, the state of we, Georgia? Yes. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't fear the guillotine as uh, nope. as what McCullough uh, would say. But a sign of times is what I'm trying to say. That we have yeah, yeah. to, we have to see this as a sign of times, and, and not how would I say, just get caught up with the talk of everything that's going on. But you know, I like to lean back to preparation. We we have to we have to submit. We have to be ready because we are going to have to suffer this just as the Maccabees, uh, and this is who's going to earn. Uh, Salvation, basically, at the very end, we can we can run, but we can't hide. It is, yeah, is so more true. Yeah, and, that's uh, so true. And uh, one more thing, I don't know if you know. Uh, I'm pretty sure you heard of this as well. Uh, the uh, Chrislam, the Chrislam, that they're opening up a headquarters of now this new religion called Chrislam, uh, which and, uh, and who has sanctioned it? Who sanctioned it? Who said this is what we're going to do? Who created the idea? Potato Papa. El Papa. 
There he is, yep. Potato Bergoglio. There he was, right there at the top. And they're building it in Dubai. Yeah, and it's going to open in 2022. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. You know, in, no, go ahead. go ahead. So, in the words of Robespierre, those who live by the guillotine die by the guillotine. <laughs> the truth. The truth. So, I just wanted to mention that, and and it's good that you, you know, that you know, that you verified it, you know, which which are acknowledging that you heard about it. Um, we we just need to know that we're pretty far in. And, we are, and the seven-year pact that you're talking about, that Bergoglio is talking about. See, I don't think that is going to be, we're, we're going to start counting from uh, 2021, from December 2021. Right. I think the count goes from his Laudato Si, which was issued in 2015, which means mm -hmm. the seven-year pact is complete in 2022, completed in 2022. And they intend to initiate, of course, Roman control over the whole earth. And that's what this whole thing is about. Look what Rome can do. We can cause every nation on earth to panic and fear over a virus we can't identify, right? Look what Rome can do. I mean, that's what Bergoglio is saying. Look what Rome can do. Yes. And, and here they are again. And now, and, and they're coming at us with this anti-reformation with, the, with the, the purpose of a great reset to put us back in the dark ages under the control of this half-educated socialist Argentinian that calls him who's usurped the office of the papacy. Yes. You know, yes. and you're right. And Chris, and you know, and when you, when the Pope comes out and says, we're going to open up this ecumenical building, this third temple, and we're not doing it in Jerusalem, we're going to do it in Dubai, right? This is going to be proclaimed the new Jerusalem. Dubai will be proclaimed the new Jerusalem. And it begs the question, is this guy even Catholic? You know, is the Pope Catholic? Where this guy's concerned, that's no longer a rhetorical question. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So just so, so much going on. And and I, I want to speak as far as encouragement. I just wanted to let you know. My wife, as of last week, uh, basically uh, left her job. Um, she spent many years in the educational field, and uh, it was due to choice. And we have to step in faith. We have to do this. Um, interestingly enough, um, we are tried prior. Uh, speaking to the young lady that was speaking a while ago, I don't know her situation, uh, but I can tell you that when the rod of the father uh, leans on you, you are being tried for purpose, for purpose. I suffered, just to give a quick, quick one, quick testimony, um, if this could lend a blessing to someone, uh, for months, I went to at least 20 different doctors at Cornell Medical Center. I was tested by the best infectious disease doctors. I went through between CAT scans and uh, MRIs. I went through about 12 of them. Um, it took wow. me 14 months uh, to get better. Uh, I was an emergency responder in the city of New York. I covered the Wall Street area, the downtown area. And um, I believe that I became sick in the beginning of this whole thing. Um, I went from good income, uh, six digits, to zero income. Uh, I uh, am no longer working. And um, talking about putting rubber to the road, that's when it comes into play. You have to just trust in him. I don't know how we kept the house, the two cars, and everything else. The Father has blessed. That's how I know. Yeah, amen. Amen, brother. Amen. And just hang in there is my, is my, my word. Hang in there because... It's, Brother Pitch, let me just say, it's it's tough when you cannot breathe, when you can't, the ruah, the breath, when you can't receive that that was breathed into Adam, life, and you're struggling with a 78 on the sap, 
on your on your on your saturation and you're not going to hospital and you're fighting month after month with purple hands, purple feet, when you can't read a sentence, when you're shaking, when you're crying, when you're when your nose is running down your face. I experienced this, brother pigeons. And that was faith. That was faith. And I'm not doing this to blow any smoke up to my mind or, or anywhere else. But what I'm trying to say is you have to hold on to the ziziot of Mashiach and just claim and claim and put your trust there because there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And you will see. And the Ruach HaKodesh will visit you. And there you will know what is spoken of. And I'm going to tell you where that is spoken of. In Ecclesiasticus 4, 5, and 6. And you will know the Ruah that way. That's an intimate way of knowing the Father. Trust me. If that rod lays on you, be easy. Rest in him. Be fervent in your prayers. Be strong in your faith. Because he will come through. I'm supposed to be dead. 78. No answers. Purple. I refused to go to the hospital. And I struggled. My father died, by the way. He died in the battle. And then I was hit at the same time. I lost my dog. He got sick too. And he died. Uh, a lot went on. But just want to tell you something, Dr. Pigeons. When you mentioned something about being called out, right? Uh, why does he choose us, right? Um, and we should consider ourselves blessed when we receive this, um, this understanding. Well, it's not just to receive it and be blessed with it, but yes, doing what we do. The mission is that we're supposed to go out and speak, become that vessel, speak, and find ourselves again in deep prayer so that we can be a useful vessel for the Father. And that's the bottom line, because yeah. we can't, it. it's going to happen. This is written. And if, it, if, if, and, and, and if we should hope that it doesn't happen, then we should hope that the word does not come true. And that's not having trust in the father. So forgive me if I, if I went on a rant myself, but I, I think it's imperative that we find strength, strength within the darkness as well. Knowing that the father's speaking and looking and saying, oh, that's my faithful servant, doing exactly what I called them out to. to uh, Amen. 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 Yeah, what Thank a blessing, Dan. What a blessing. Thank you for that testimony and for that witness. I mean, what a blessing. Thank you, brother. And may Thank blessings you, be upon you. And may, may his hand of abundance be with you. I, mean, I want to tell you one more thing. I uh, just, just to really sweeten this up. I sat at the table of the 32nd. And I think you know what I'm talking about. I, I just, I don't really, really want to expound on it, but I was there too. I was there when the Nahash was being celebrated. I came from there. So the rod was laid upon me very strongly. And my wife, since she was a little one, has been serving the father. Talking about not being equally yoked. And he took me from that death. Yeah. So it's pretty deep. It's pretty deep sitting on the table with druids and everything else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so I think you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, I guess I'll have to send you an email one day. You will. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, hopefully, hopefully someday we will meet, we will all join together, this family, yeah. and not just, and not just visually here, but we will actually meet each other face to face. And until then, brother, thank you for your testimony and for your witness. Yes, and, thank uh, you, and, brother. Yeah, yeah. I promised you a quick peek, so I'm going to show you what I got. Oh, okay. Let's get, 
Let's get over here real quick. That's my friend there. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. He was four, he's supposed to be 442 pounds. They didn't do a great job, but here's a couple of them up here. Uh, I took the wild boars down because we know that Mashiach wouldn't have wild boars in his tent. But uh, that's just a couple of them, a couple of turkeys. So yeah, you got some good dog sheep going on there. Yeah, very good. I had to show you. <laughs> I know you got the wildlife and I know you're a hunter. So. Well, I got to tell you, Dan, we were talking about it yesterday. You know, Stephanie and I were talking about it. And one of the questions was, if you could have any part of any animal, what part would you have and what would you do with it? And I said, well, you know, I want a set of elk horns so that I can go into the grocery store and start spearing people with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Dan. Blessing to you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, you Adam. Hi, blessings to you. Hey, okay, let's go to Randall. Randall, how are you, buddy? Hey, Dr. Bay, how's it going? Good, good to see you. Um, I, the cloth is coming along nicely. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you're getting there. Um, uh, beautiful testimonies by uh, Amy and Dan. That was that's that's awesome. Um, powerful, huh? Powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was I was wondering, and this is kind of off the subject that everybody else has been on because I've been geeking out on the stuff that they've been talking about, but um, uh, the putting these uh, talks. Um, the last time I was on your site, the, the last I think the they went up. For, they went from like late April to June, but there was no more after. Yeah, I've talked with I've talked with Jonathan. Jonathan's our IT guy, and I have loaded up the Sabbath meetings at least into our cloud through last week, and I'll have this one updated too. And so I'll mention it to him again, to Jonathan. We've got a couple of things going on. One, I'm recording the Torah portion now in audio form. Awesome. And that is supposed to be logged onto the website. And then these Sabbath teachings should be caught up by day. I don't know what happened, but you cut out. Oh, okay. Hold on. Am I back on there now? Okay. Anyway, so what I'm, uh, so we're, we're hoping to have the, um, we should have the Sabbath portion all updated this upcoming week. Uh, through even today and then the torah portion is also going to be available in an audio format on the website as well okay all right so, um yeah i was gonna say i mean if it's if you you know if there's anything i can do to help i mean i'm i've got a lot of time on my hands so um i appreciate know. that randall well let me let me let me test jonathan first he's the guy that's responsible for it so i'll, I'll contact him and say jonathan where are you Put it in gear. If he needs help, I, I'll be glad to, you know, assist him and whatever. But uh, what's the latest on Sefer University? Yeah, on Sefer Academy? Yeah. Well, we, we are, we're preparing. I mean, I don't want to come off half-baked on the Academy. I want to do really serious teaching on the Academy. Absolutely. And so, we're you know, we are we're continuing to prepare. And we're going to be offering instruction in Paleo-Hebrew. We're going to be offering instruction in Hebrew. We're going to be, I'm going to be teaching on the book of Hanok initially, which is going to be a really exhaustive study. And I think there's going to be a lot of surprising things to come out of that. And, uh, and we're also, and, and I'm preparing some additional classes too. I want to do what I call uh, grandpa's corner. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to do grandpa's corner for my grandsons where I'm just going to be teaching. Yeah. I'm going to be teaching just kind of the straightforward, really kind of the preliminary stuff of understanding, you know, what it takes to be a critical thinker. 
And because critical thinking is what is lost. I mean, we can talk about the academics of it all day long, but if you can't think, you can't think. And if you're taught to regurgitate and not think, you're, you're going to be walking away a zombie. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to put together Grandpa's Corner. And I'm also working on Sefer Radio, you know. And so we have a lot of stuff on Sefer Radio that's coming mm-hmm. with the Sabbath teaching. We're reducing crossing over to a, uh, an audio file, which is also mm-hmm. available under the, under the microphone tab on, on the Sefer.net. Right. And uh, and I've also I've started recording uh, Radio Free Alaska, which you know is pretty radical. So I'm every time I record it, it's like, should I release that? I don't know. But uh, uh, we're talking a potential Friday on channel there, you know. So there's a lot of there's a lot of fat in the fire, and we we do have it still forthcoming. We're trying to get there, and I'm trying to create an audio version of the Sefer, you know. So I spent a lot of time in my studio recording now. And, you know, reading the Sefer, reading the Torah portion, you know, and trying to get stuff prepared and preparing PowerPoints, you know, our crossing over, uh, our crossing over presentation on Thursday nights, this last week, it took me, you know, almost three days to finish that PowerPoint. It was really, a really difficult PowerPoint to to create. And, you know, normally we do like a 36 slide PowerPoint. And so it gets, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work involved. And we have, of course, Bettina and Eileen are, are also reducing those to a transcript format that incorporates the PowerPoint presentation. Those are going to be made available, too, once we get the collection completed. So we're trying to put as many resources as we can together to do this stuff, Randall. And I do appreciate your offer. Thank you. Um, you know, I've, the, you, you, uh, Dan brought up the two witnesses. Um, you know, that, that, that occurred to me sometime back that the two witnesses were not two individuals, but two groups of people. Uh, it's just, um, I guess it's something that the Lord put on me or whatever. Well, but. Revelation is kind of self-explanatory telling you about that. But Randall, let, let me do this because we're running out of time. We've got about five minutes left. Uh-huh. So, so I want to catch, I'm going to catch a couple more questions. Okay. All right. All right. But I do yeah. appreciate your offer. Thank you, Randall. And thank you for bringing you know, up the bring up the issues okay let's go to Heidi and then, we'll, and then we'll go to Jackie okay Heidi how's it going Shalom. it's going um question is for all of you um Heidi your question has evaporated into the ether <laughs> I'll ask it again. Do you, for all of you, do you know how much I love you? Oh, there you go. Well, thank you. Well, we don't, but thanks for, <laughs> thank but thanks for bringing it on. Thank you for, thank you for dropping it <laughs> on. Yeah, I, I love this fellowship. It's a lot, song. you guys. Yeah. I love thank you all so much. Blessings to you, sister. Okay, and one last question. Let's go to Jackie. Jackie, how are you? I'm fine, Dr. Pigeon. Um, um, I have, my sister has some friends and, um, they're Christians. They don't, they're not Torah, but her, um, her friend's husband is up for a transplant. And I don't know what, if it's liver, kidney, I have no idea, but in order for him to get that transplant, he needs to get the vaccine. And in order for his wife to see him, she, he has, she has to have the vaccine and they're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've heard this from the transplant community, and you know, my brother-in-law is facing something similar, and uh, they've already told him if you want to get the transplant, you have to be vaccinated. Well, 
you know, what occurs. You know, I mean, once again, you know, I mean, I'll just come back. I mean, we, we saw this passage in Maccabees, right? Uh-huh. right. And Melissa shared with us today, which I, I'm really greatly blessed by that. And yeah, there's also, Fourth Maccabees also has more instruction about this too. And the martyrdom of Polycarp is also an, a further instruction on this issue. And so what I'm suggesting to you is this, they need to consider carefully what it is that they're doing. And I'm not going, you know, it's not up to me to judge, but given what we've heard here today, the testimony we've heard today, there's very, very clear to me that this is definitely the mark and it's definitely going to wreak havoc on all of us. So with that, Jackie, let's pray. And we're going to say, we're going to call it an afternoon. I want to thank you guys for being here to get today for Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom to all of you. It's been a wonderful meeting today. Greatly blessed by all of your testimony, by the teaching today that many of you have participated in. Thank you so much. So we say, Blessed be your name in all things, Yahweh. Your name be over us, upon us, and within us. Cover us with your wings, cover us with your Ruach HaKodesh. Guide us, lead us, be a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet, and a guiding light in the wilderness that we might be able to follow you. We look forward to what it is you are doing in our lives and how your hand is moving on the face of the earth. May your name be blessed in all of us and may your name be placed upon us as we walk out this upcoming week. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for the Shabbat, Father. We give thanks in all things in the blessings of the name of Yahusha, the beloved one which you have given, that we might be reconciled to you. In that name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. We'll see you next week. Shalom, family. Shabbat shalom, Dr. Shabbat shalom, Dr. B. Thank you.